Life isn't about answers, it's about questions. Asking good questions is key to learning. That's a proven fact. And there's no more important question than why Jesus. So get ready as we dive into the conversation together on the next episode of the Why Jesus Podcast. And we are live. Welcome to the next episode of the Why Jesus Podcast. Man, do we have a lineup today. We're talking Jordan Peterson. We're talking Oliver Anthony and Rich Men from north of Richmond. And we're going to be talking hell and the state of the church. Guys, welcome to the podcast today. We've got some awesome, awesome folks for you lined up. If you've seen any of the promo stuff, you already know who's here. You're going to find out here in a second. I am letting the music roll because I can't find the right window. But here we go. Welcome. 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 I love it. I love it. It's live and whatever happens, happens. How are you guys doing? Ryan and Arthur from Apologia and Ryan from Bible Dingers. We're waiting on LT to get here. What's up? What's up? What's going on, man? I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk about Jordan Peterson and Oliver Anthony and then uh, hell, which is obviously the third thing you would think about when you think about Jordan Peterson and Oliver (laughs) Anthony. Oh, there's there's a, there's a thread, and the thread will be injustice, as I already said. Okay. But we'll, we'll we will pull it all together in a nice neat bow at the end, and the, and it will land on the gospel. Uh, people might be wondering where LT is. Well, uh, apparently, when you restart your router through Verizon, it takes 15 minutes. So he oh. rest, he restart started his router and then proceeded to message us in the. Uh, the private chat we've got that it's going to take longer. So he's going to get here shortly. We're going to hop into our first first conversation, even though this was the topic that LT had brought to us to to do. <laughs> so hey, he'll I, have I must to- say, by the way, that's a suit right there, man. That suit is no joke, bro. Right? I, I don't know. I, man, I, I don't know who's making his suits. He had that he had that what I call the two face suit. You know, you know the, the, the I call that the two face suit. <clears throat> yep, yep. Um, that's that, but this one's sick, bro. This it's because because you know, it's like they took his logo and they turned it into a suit. It's so cool. That's exactly what I thought. I was watching this podcast and I was looking at, at Jordan Peterson. And then I look on the bottom right and there's his logo. And I'm like, wait a second, I think there's a and match it's just here. Peterson. It's just Peterson yeah, right there. <laughs> so the best tweet I saw regarding this is you don't mess with someone whose suits are made by the joker and i was like (laughs) i'm just waiting waiting for him to slam down the pencil on the table and be like you want to see a magic trick oh man (laughs) yeah it's it's it's, i can see that it's it's a crazy suit i gotta give respect to that and he's in good shape to wear a suit like that it's all like nice fitted he can i'm jealous a little bit bro I'm just jealous a little bit. Well, and and I'm looking forward to some of your thoughts on this, Arthur, because I know you've sat through you know how much all, I love Jordan Peterson. Oh gosh, all of those Exodus. I can't do it. I give you credit. I know I've said it on your stream. I can't sit through that stuff, but you do, and you do it well. But we're gonna take a look at what's going on. Some of you may know what's happening, some of you may not. 
Jordan Peterson is going to talk about <clears throat> a little bit of what's happening currently behind the scenes in a legal battle. And I think it's an interesting conversation. And it's not just because Jordan Peterson got clicks and he probably brought some of you in here, though you're probably here because he was in the thumbnail and I hope you are. But the hope is that we're going to have a, a deeper conversation about what he's going to share and how it might bump into religious liberty and the possibility of being able to even speak the truth and have freedom of speech. So let's hear, it's a short clip. I'll speed it up just slightly uh, so that we can get through it, but also so that uh, we don't get any of the um, takedowns yeah, yeah. and any of that stuff, all the, all the goodies. So here we go, let's, let's hop in. And if you wanna pause, just throw your hand up and we can pause and talk about anything. It's within the college's purview to stop me from having any political opinions, as far as I can tell. The, the, um, the decision, which I posted on Twitter and will post in the description of this video, starts out by making a case for the fundamental reality of freedom of speech for Canadians in Canada, and then says, but, and that's always a bad start when you're talking about freedom of speech, but apparently the college has the right to decide that I can be re-educated forcibly with the risk of my license, essentially because I made political statements that the members of the college don't agree with. And those 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 um, opinions involve two criticisms of Justin Trudeau, one criticism of his chief of staff, one criticism of an Ottawa city councillor, and then my objection on Joe Rog Rogan to the climate apocalyptic fear-mongering that idiot tyrants are foisting on the general population. Now, apparently that makes me unprofessional and a uh, disgrace to the profession, such that I am now going to be required, the college can go ahead with this, to put me into a re-education program with their so-called social media experts. And that's also, by the way, a profession that does not exist until I learn my lesson, whatever that is, regardless of how much time that takes, by their judgment. So he says it right there from, from the jump. He is being, because of some of his political views and some of the things he said, being forced to take social media, basically like detention, timeout, learn proper social media. What's the flaw? In it, he's presented it, but what is the flaw of this process, even just from the jump that we see that he's pointing out here? What sticks out to you about about what he's saying that the government of Canada is forcing him to do? Well, I'm not a Canadian, well, so I don't know Canadian politics, eh? <laughs> yeah, we need Matt. <laughs> Matt, we need Matt in here. Let us know in the in the comments. I see him hanging out. Yeah, I'd say I'm not too uh, I'm not too familiar with the charter, but I've also you know I also haven't spent enough time marrying up freedom of speech with the ideals of of capitalism and mm -hmm. you know folks that control you know I suppose a university or a business or whatever whether or not they have the right to tell folks what they can and can't say out in public. You know, I, I lean that they shouldn't have the right at the same time. I, I can't say I'm educated enough on, you know, the systems of, of capitalism and hmm. what, what is meant okay, by free speech so, so to say whether or not. Go ahead. Can, can we process that? Um, so this isn't, this doesn't have to do with his university teaching job. This has to do with mm -hmm. his clinical practice. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
which and he actually isn't currently practicing. Things. He's not currently practicing, but still, he could lose his license gotcha. as a result. So is he's not currently the, practicing because of because of what's going on. They've taken him to court. Um, and the question is whether somebody can have a job and say that they are approved by um, I don't know uh, the medical body or whatever like that. So th- let's just say it's just a doctor, just any random doctor um and they come out and they're like hey i can't stand the liberals say it's a general surgeon or something like that and they take that individual's license away that that's what is coming down to like do they have a right to do that for having a political opinion that disagrees Mm. with whatever the government's saying but it has Mm. really nothing to do with this practice yeah well, and, and, it seems and to I, that's just insane. It's, it's... Hey, uh, Jeremy, just a heads up. Your chat's on the screen, my friend. I know. Uh, I, had to, of, yeah. <laughs> I had to respond. <laughs> I had to respond. Dil- Dylan says he's trying to get let in, but he's not showing up on my screen to be let in, so I had to respond. Gotcha, um, gotcha. I didn't have a way so to is it the, cancel it off. So is it the university that's trying to go. pull license? Or is there it we the go. state? No, it's, it's like it's the college of like the the, the people that of give him his medical license. Yeah. Uh, okay, I understand. Gotcha. Yes, and he's he's going to clarify that a little bit more um, uh, in in a little bit more of this clip of how that is playing out and how even um, and how even all of the other things go about in terms of what these psychiatrists are allowed and not allowed to say. So he's getting dragged into this because of things he said publicly, but he's going to even in this video uh, share how it is that in Canada, privately behind practice doors, um, psychiatrists are not allowed to say the truth. Hmm. It's weird to me. It's just like, okay, let's distinguish between two things here. One of them being like what he says to his patients. I suppose there's like ethical concerns and all sorts of stuff because you're dealing with potentially suicidal individuals and I mean, there's serious issues in people's lives you're dealing with as um, a clinician. But then let's just say, uh, whatever, the government hikes up taxes and you go on Joe Rogan's podcast and you're like, this is a stupid decision by our government to, to, to do this. Or say they raise taxes because they've bought into the global warming kind of whatever climate change stuff. And you just disagree with it. Mm-hmm. And then now they're like, we're going to, we're going to re we have to re the thing that's like, mm, you know, cause I hate communism so much. Um, and, and because I've seen this or I've heard about it in, in Armenia about like re-education, my brothers had to go to re-education camps as, oh, wow. as an 11 year old. And as a six-year-old. Wow. Now consider this. My parents went from Iran, the Islamic Republic of Iran, after the revolution. My brothers were born in 75 and 79. Um, so after the revolution, you know, they, they went to Armenia. The communist Armenians in Armenia send them to what they called like pioneer camps, which is essentially indoctrination centers to re-educate mm. them 
into the communist ideology of Marxist Leninism. Like, so I, I whenever I hear re-education and stuff like that, I just go berserks. <laughs> I hate yeah. that stuff. I think the gut it's reaction terrifying. is thinking of those those types of oh, things, the concentration camps. You think of China and what they're doing over there currently right now. That it, and so whenever it, that was definitely a bad choice of words, if anything, mm-hmm. is to label it as re-education. Yeah. Well, and did did you catch what he said? Also, he they will not give him his license back until they deem that he has been re-educated, That's and they I mean. don't even define what that means. Yeah, You're like who decides that? So, welcome, LT. We're glad you're here. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> hello, hello. Xfinity has never played me so dirty in my life, man. Oh, <laughs> I was like, I was like staring at my app. I'm like, all right, let's go, comma. Hey, uh, just saying, man, you're this is probably not the best ad for Verizon. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully, Xfinity doesn't hope to uh, sponsor his channel anytime soon because I'm not going to get them. Well. We will not. Right now. We will not take any sponsorships that don't allow us to speak the truth. So there we just, go. There it is. Um, let's keep. <laughs> we've got a little bit, a few more minutes here of what he's going to say, and I think it gets even more interesting. Let's let's keep watching. Or they can take my license away. And so the co- the court says, well, of course you have freedom of speech, Doctor Peterson, but because you're a professional, you're bound by your professional organization. And apparently they're not bound, even though they're a government organization. Fundamentally, apparently they're not bound by that fundamental constitutional axiom. And so that shows you, all you Canadians who are listening, and everyone outside of the country who might be the least bit interested in Canada, that shows you exactly what our bloody constitution is worth. And if Canadians are so daft that they don't think that that's a problem, well, they're going to figure it out over the next 15 years, because there's absolutely no excuse for this. So that's what I'm thinking. Now, there's part of me that's thinking, well, look, Peterson, the College (laughs) of Psychologists is after you. You've taken it to court. Now the judges have decided that you're wrong. Maybe you're wrong. And I think, well, I expressed political sentiment and I'm actually informed. And so for the life of me, I can't see how I'm wrong. I think I have a responsibility to say what I think. And I think many people agree with that. And I think the fundamental consequence of that around the world has been massively beneficial to people. What do you think of that last statement? He, he feels a desire or a need to speak what he believes and the overall concept of that in the world. I don't think he just means himself, but just in general, when people do that is positive. What do you think? I'm generally the type of person who thinks that free speech is pretty important. Um, I mean, anything bar calls the violence or outright slander. Um, I'm generally on board for free speech because I, I think generally free speech allows for there to be um, growth and knowledge, growth and innovation, um, growth for, you know, basically anything that you want growth for, you want to need free speech in, a, in order for people to debate ideas. Um, so I'm generally a proponent for free speech. I would generally say I support that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's kind of my view. I have, I have two thoughts about this. Uh, my my first thought is that it's absolutely wild that they are assigning a social media expert to somebody who has like one of the biggest social media presences. Seven, seven million. 
seven million subscribers <laughs> and private on Daily Wire and all the other stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that that is is pretty wild. But that's also, like thought I control. I don't I don't think it's a social media expert. I think it's the sense of like a social yeah. media ethics person. Yeah. Yeah, which is like it's like, it's like having control. a diversity coach on your for your company. It's like basically yeah. the same concept. You yeah, gotta be able to learn how to say things that are politically correct. Right, and that that kind of leads into my second thought is that it's it's I find it interesting and a little bit cowardly, honestly, that in, instead they prefer to reeducate the one who's leading the public astray or or whatever <laughs> they claim he's doing, rather than just having a dialogue with him in front of the public and not thinking that the public is too stupid to figure out who is right and who is wrong when they're disagreeing mm -hmm. with each other. Mm -hmm. Well, and, yeah. and, and I think that even further, when you, when you think about, uh, again, I'm not a huge conspiracy theory or victim blaming and, and be the bigger victim. But when you think about how many people have said things publicly that have positions of power. I mean, now Jordan Peterson is in a position where he is part of this college of psychiatrics that actually is going to do something about it. Um, but how many people criticize with less knowledge and are literally wrong? How many people have gone on, on and made like even like broadcasters get on and get things wrong and it's say things? Yeah, well, TikTok, that's I mean, all TikTok is. I mean, TikTok is literally just a cesspool of false information. <laughs> so, on all I, sides, on all sides. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Well, and yeah. and so listen, listen to what he says next because he goes even further and Ryan, he's going to leverage his social media presence in this conversation yeah. or if he doesn't, I'll I'll mention what he says cuz I can't remember if I Kept it in th this longer conversation was about 40 minutes. I boiled it down to about four. So uh, trying to keep us moving. Or so five I, think, and a half. I think number one, what the hell? And number two, bring it on and see what happens. Because I will make absolutely every bit of this public in a way in. that the college and the courts can hardly <laughs> even imagine. There you go. You so got it. Away we go. So that's, the that's how I'm doing. Canadians have no idea to what degree professionals in Canada are now required not to say what they think or to lie outright. So listen, listen to this again. Listen to that again. I think this is, this is so important. Away we go. So that's how I'm doing. Canadians have no idea to what degree professionals in Canada are now required not to say what they think or to lie outright. So for example, therapists are required by law to lie about, let's say, the gender identity of minors. And so for me, especially on the therapy side, if, if you're required by law and by your professional organization to lie cowardly, you're done as a therapist because the only thing you've got as a therapist is honesty. That's it. Honesty is what's curative. So, you know, it's just part of how surreal the world is and, and particularly how surreal Canada is. It's, uh, it's hard to fathom. Yeah. Well, they would support the most fundamental principle of a free society, right? It's like, why do you have the right to freedom of speech? Well, the answer is, is because there's no difference between free speech and thinking, no difference between free speech and dialogue, and no difference between free speech and problem solving and negotiation. And so, and therefore peace. If you eliminate that, people can no longer think, they can no longer adapt, they can no longer negotiate, they no longer even know how to orient themselves in the world. And so, in principle, the 
advantage uh, for the Supreme Court is that they rule in favor of the most fundamental principle upon which civil democracy itself is predicated. Now, I don't think we have the right to free speech in Canada. I think this, this, uh, this decision today demonstrates that obviously. I saw the same thing with the Law Society in Canada. Partly was why I'm not surprised at this ruling. I've been through this before. And so, again, there's so much more that he says, but just the thought that the way that this is structured is forcing therapists to have to give certain diagnosis, like they're forcing a worldview, yet they'll look at a religious worldview and say, no, your worldview is evil, your worldview is wrong, and you're not even allowed to speak that worldview, let alone... Um, call what is reality reality mm -hmm. i mean that's been like even in the united states you see it creeping through different professions um i mean even when it comes to uh what's that called um that therapy where you try to prevent someone from transitioning or something um conversion therapy yeah conversion therapy like even that type of stuff is like prohibited in a lot of areas like california stuff like there's a lot of regulations surrounding those topics mm. um, because of the ideologies that are permeating throughout culture. And yeah, it's, 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 it's an idea. It's, it's basically picking what ideology do you want to push? What ideology do you want to promote and demote? It's what it boils down to. I think it's criminalized in Canada, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. Yeah, I, I don't know enough of Canadian law. Uh, if Matt's still here, he could let say, us know Matt in the chat. Here. Dude, Matt could let us know, our local Canadian. Uh, he might he might be moving or at least getting on a plane sometime to fly somewhere else. But uh, I, I, think it's in, <laughs> I think it's intriguing when we start to think because uh, usually, and this isn't always the case, but when we start to look around the world at what's happening, a lot of times this – Canada may be years ahead of where America is heading, but I think a lot of what's happening in America is heading that similar direction where if you say certain things, um, and this isn't just like a person who said something negative, he'll go on in, in, in the rest of what he says, and he's willing to fight this because he's the only one that can. He doesn't need his practice. He's willing to let it go. He doesn't need it. And the, he's not even sure if the insurance will cover what he's going to do. So it's going to cost him millions of dollars to yeah. fight this. And so I think he's willing to go into that. And he even said, if they take away my license, he's got people lined up in other provinces ready to give him a license the next day. So yeah. I, I think it's interesting because this is a situation where um, someone who has been big in culture and on social media for a while is standing up very publicly to a free speech conversation. I can't think of anything else this big um, in terms of, we've seen some things, but not something on this type of scale that I think has this ramification. It's, so especially, it's, de it's definitely nice when you have a multi-million dollar contract from one of the biggest uh, conservative news platforms in the Western world. <laughs> oh, it'll push clicks. What you got, Arthur? You said you want to read something. <clears throat> okay. Uh, this reminded me of, of something I have uh, occasionally and regularly go back to. Um, it is from the Apology of Socrates. So for those that don't know, this is Socrates' defense, the apology being like apologetics. That's uh, It's not Socrates apologizing to people. He actually does very little apologizing <laughs> in this speech. It is his defense in court. Um, and here's what he says. 
towards the end of it. This is like kind of his closing remarks. He says, and if you say to me, Socrates, we will let you go freely, free, but only on condition that you stop your questioning. Then I will reply, men of Athens, I honor and love you, but I must obey God rather than you. And while I have life and strength, I will never stop doing philosophy. For my aim is to persuade you all, young and old alike, not to think about your lives or your properties, but first and foremost, to care about your inner self. I tell you that wealth does not make you good within, but that from the inner goodness comes wealth and every other benefit to man. This is my teaching. And if it corrupts youth, then I suppose I am their corrupter. <laughs> Sad. Very. And, 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 and he makes a couple of uh, other statements and then the commentary says, at this point, Socrates rested his case. The jury debated among themselves. And then in a split vote, they reached their final verdict and they condemned him to death. <laughs> then right. he so so, so I, I will say this. Um, I am not... <laughs> the Christian in me wants to be hopeful that someone like a Jordan Peterson will shake up society. Uh, but also the, the Christian in me also says... <laughs> that it is not in this world where good always wins mm. and that it, it could be that we like, like I, look you want to know my opinions on jordan peterson and his thinking when it comes to the bible watch oh, my exodus reaction videos and oh, i just fully positive seven. completely positive um <laughs> i have a lot of harsh things to say yeah i have a lot of I, harsh things to say when it comes to his biblical analysis but um, I have a lot of harsh things to say to Socrates and his theological outlook on life and his philosophy and stuff like that. Hmm. But nonetheless, I wouldn't be surprised that he is like a modern day Socrates that we see get destroyed. I would not be surprised that society destroys this man. He has the power. I, I agree with all the stuff that has been said. The, the guy has the pull. He's, he's able, he will be able to fund. I, I mean, I clicked and went and saw, um, his uh, kind of the fundraising page and pe people were just giving man. Uh, um, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, and, and, and that, that's phenomenal to see that you can have a grassroots kind of giving that works like that. And you're able to, to battle and fight uh, when it comes to these things, but let's not be naive. Um, th this is what happens to individuals that stand up to society. Another thing I wrote down here is, hmm. This completely destroys genuine disagreement. Mm -hmm. um, and that is very, very, very dangerous to society. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, to, the, to the core fundamental, debate is the core fundamental thing of a free society. We have to have the ability to debate. Once you get rid of that, I think you're, you're on a trajectory that's going to crash and burn real quick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think, and I think they're closer to, to that than the United States is, in my opinion. And I, I think you're right on with that assessment. And I, I think, thank you for bringing in some philosophy. Your, your philosophy background is awesome uh, to add to this. I also, as we think about this, what, what should then our reaction as Christians be when we see something like this? I know a lot of Christians fall in love with Jordan Peterson. I'm not one of those. Um, I, I respect some of what he says and does, but I, He's not there yet for me, but how should we approach when we see something like this that's not just because there is uh, 
a, a main theme throughout scripture that one day all things will be made right. That's the groaning of all creation. Um, so how, how do we then enter into a conversation about what is right and wrong and just and unjust? How, how do we how do we handle that? Because there might be some people that would look at what is happening to Jordan Peterson and say, that's completely right. And it should be that way. He shouldn't be allowed to go on the Joe Rogan podcast and say those things about climate change. I think it's it's sort of natural for the Christian to gravitate towards these leaders who we look up to sort of as a, you know, a role model type. Like a, a lot of people do look up to Jordan Peterson um, as a man and they they see him as as fighting for their rights uh, and specifically in this in this instance, fighting for freedom of speech. People look up to him. People look up to Elon Musk. People look up to Joe Rogan himself. Uh, you know, people look up to politicians, and uh, you know, I think that's fine. And I think it's well, yeah, that's that, maybe not look up to them. <laughs> yeah, like, to them besides Trump, name one say. politician people look up to. <laughs> <laughs> Agree. I retract that statement, but I think people do look to politicians for hope for the future. Um, mm -hmm. And I think while we should vote. And while it is okay to support folks who are, um, you know, doing Christian type of things, in the end, you do need to have your hope in Jesus, hmm. you know, that, that Jesus is ultimately going to make things right, and ultimately things will, will come to justice because of him. There's no man on earth that will ever do that besides mm -hmm. Jesus. And I mean, no matter what the laws are, at the end of the day, as Christians, we are called to speak the truth no matter what anyway. So, I mean, laws are just, and when it comes to governmental laws and political discourse and, you know, when it comes to the structure of a country, law, any law that infringes on the commands of God are now null and void to the Christian. Like they, they, they are, you know, irrelevant because God's laws and God's commands come above the man's laws and man's commands. Um, so if any government's like, hey, you can't talk about God, you can't talk about Christianity, you can't talk about you, what you believe in those regards, that goes against completely what scripture says, goes against completely what God says. And then at that point, you, you must be wise in how you do it, but you still are called to speak the truth. So at the end of the day, no matter what the laws are by the country standards, we still must speak the truth no matter what. Yeah, I, I just, for me, um, if Jordan Peterson was, um, and, and to a certain extent, I'd say he's still like an atheist agnostic kind of guy. Agnostic, I, listen to yeah. quote, I, I listen to him quite a bit, and I think I, I don't know if I haven't figured out. I don't think he has himself figured out, but um, <laughs> uh, at least when it comes to, you know, God. Um, if he was a Muslim, I, I don't care what Jordan Peterson would be. I don't care how much I disagreed with him. I'd defend him. Um, on, yep. on this issue, uh, because I'll tell you this, uh, if people are sitting there and if Christians, specifically pastors in Canada are sitting there and saying, well, you know, this doesn't have anything to do with us, X, Y, and Z, they're going to come after your churches tomorrow. I guarantee you yeah. they're going to shut your church down because mm -hmm. you said something they're going to, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure there's something in Canada in regards to ordination laws and what it looks like and the state rep uh, the, the state recognizing that and all that. They'll shut you down in a heartbeat and say, we, we're not mm -hmm. going to organize you being a religious individual 
like that is and and if people think uh this is kind of a uh slippery slope like i think it's been very clear over the last couple of years where we've seen that and his number one defender should be christians in canada yeah amen Um, yeah because it's their churches maybe even if i want to be like really nice right now i just say it should be his number one supporter should be religious people because it's your mosques it's your churches it's your temples that are going to get shut down because you're going to have views that are contrary to what the secularists in canada want to push forward as a Mm -hmm. society Mm-hmm. And I mean, the whole slippery slope fallacy only applies, at least the way I perceive it, only applies if you are extrapolating beyond what the philosophy or ideology will allow for. Um, and in the case of a secular philosophy and ideology that tries to tr- uh, tries to announce um, tolerance as its number one priority um, in regard to identity and especially sexual stuff, that in of itself already allows itself to infringe upon the rights of religious people who disagree with that ideology. Because if you're intolerant, then now you lose the right to mm. be a part of a quote unquote tolerant society. Um, so it's not really a slippery slope as much as just a reality that the ideology. It's the logical conclusion to their ideology. Yeah. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And we can see it coming. Yeah. And, and so as, as we do that, as we approach those things, we have to be willing to, to speak the truth, to hold firm on the truth, even if it doesn't always rub everyone the right way. Well, I, I think that's a, a can I good- Can something? Uh, can I qualify yes, something before you go on, Jeremy? Just in case, because I, I know there might be some people out there going like, yeah, speak the truth, and then they end up being like the obnoxious, annoying kind. Um, so, <laughs> and I know Jeremy believes this. He just didn't say it, but we speak the truth in love. Amen. We give a defense with respect and gentleness. Amen. That doesn't mean we're not bold. That doesn't mean we're not like clear in your face. Like I wrote down on my paper, Jordan Peterson very obviously in this video seems upset and angry. He's vengeful. The way vengeful. He's he's, yeah. Mm -hmm. He's like come after me. Yep. Let's do this right. Yeah. You want to get in the ring? Let's get in the ring. That's that's what he's saying. And now again, I don't hold Jordan Peterson to Christian standards because I don't think he's a Christian. But for those of us who are Christians who want to get involved in these conversations, speak the truth, do it in love and grace and respect. Mm, amen. Amen. Well, before before we can hop into our next topic, there's 14 of you here. There's only 10 likes. So four of you need to hit that like button if you want us to hop into this next topic. Uh, 15. There you go. You just you, you got to so do it. The, the, the like ante has been up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sixteen. Sixteen. All right, it just keeps going up. <laughs> got it. Got to hit those likes. We are going to hop into a conversation. If you haven't seen this uh, song yet, I'm going to give you a disclaimer at the front end while we wait for those likes. Hey, one of you's listening. Thank you very much for that. Um, if you have little ears and you are concerned about profanity, there is some profanity in this song. That Ooh, I have not ears. bleeped out. Good thing I have big um, ears. Yeah, you do have big <laughs> I have ears. Huge ears. <laughs> By the way, I haven't <laughs> heard this song yet. Oh, I've seen lots of memes. No, I've seen lots of memes. I I have not heard it. This is a first time experience for me. Wow. And I love this oh. man's beard. Yes, he has an epic Already. beard. Um, and and epic so beard. as we 
this conversation is kind of building off of what we've already said and even something that Ryan said earlier in terms of uh, th- this is going to be a political conversation, but th- listen to the lyrics of this song if you haven't. Actually, in the chat, let me know. I want to know right now while we're waiting for the likes because now we need to get to 17. While oh, wow. we're waiting, um, have you heard this song yet? One, yes in the chat. Two, no. If you have not heard the song, throw a two. Or if you just have, say yes or one. no. No, no. I got to do <laughs> no, it like the streamers. That pe- it's faster to hit one and two for people than type. Yeah, yeah. Uh, got to no get way. that engagement up. You got to get that engagement up. That's that's it. Um, but if they're too I, lazy to type out yes or no, a, are they even We should put a poll, bro. Come we could put a poll in the 18. poll. All right. Now we Look need all these twos. <laughs> okay. Oh, John. Okay. We got we got a few twos, a few twos, a few ones. Four of you are paying attention. Say, we're doing ballet over here. Um, we're still waiting hey, on John sixty. Clash. You. Happy birthday to John it's Clash, a, it, ladies and gentlemen. Who's singing? Are we singing Happy Birthday? I, we, I can't are, sing. Sorry. Okay, man. fine. Um, someone moderator put Bible dingers in timeout. Nick's got to go in timeout. <laughs> <laughs> no, there is no three. Okay, Daryl, I see. Now, eight. now it's just getting ridiculous. <laughs> oh um, man. Okay. Anyway, eighteen. Come on, guys, hit that like button. Anyway, we're gonna hop into this. Um, I appreciate you being here. If you haven't already subscribed, we just cracked a thousand subscribers. I'd appreciate you to do that. And if you like podcasts, go find us on Spotify, find us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. We'd love that as we get hopping in. Some of you might be joining us after the live and we love you too. Make sure you comment down below. Let's listen to this song again, some profanity. So if you have young ears, is that better instead of little ears? I guess Dylan has young ears too. Um, yeah, yeah, Dylan, are, are you are you old enough to? Li- no, I'm just kidding. Sorry. I don't uh, know. <laughs> I, I, let me go ask my parents real quick. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, here we go. I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for bullshit pay, so I can sit out here and waste my life away. Drag back home and drown my troubles away It's a damn shame What the world's gotten to For people like me People like you Wish I could just wake up And it not be true But it is Oh it is Living in the new world With an old soul These rich men know the rich men Lord knows just wanna have total control Wanna know what you think Wanna know what you do And they don't think you know But I know that you do Cause your dollar ain't shit And it's taxed to no end Cause a rich man Cause a rich man I wish politicians Look out for miners, and not just miners on an island somewhere. Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat, and the old beast milking welfare. Well, God, if you're five foot three and you're three hundred pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds. Young men are putting themselves six feet in the ground, cause all this damn country does is keep on kicking them down. Lord, it's a damn shame 
to the dog just <laughs> at the end for like no apparent reason is my favorite exactly. part of the whole video because <laughs> like the whole video he doesn't cut to anything else and then at the very end he's like oh yeah by the way i have a dog, <laughs> and then here's, my dog. <laughs> here's here's my dog 45 million views in under a week Can um, I, you know, what i what i learned oh. is that I mean, we're trying too hard these days. All you need to do is get a guitar, step out into the woods, and just record yourself, man. That's how it works. Yeah, hey, but, but, but. That's good <laughs> stuff, bro. I don't know. I don't know what you guys are used to. There, There's the genre of Armenian music that I listen to. By the way, is that a guitar or a banjo? Someone tell me. I've got a banjo as well, but that's a, a guitar. It's a steel. No, no, steel. the guy in the song. Oh, it's a steel, steel guitar. guitar. Steel, yeah, guitar. steel guitar yes yeah, so i'm not a musician i'm stupid when it comes to music okay um but i make up for it in all, all sorts of other ways um that's there there's a genre of music i listen to it's armenian music it's essentially like like a complaint song of, of sorts and it's the dude with the guitar talking about difficulties of life there's two comments um well there are two quotations i want to bring into this okay um number one and I, I've said this before, but all new news is old news happening to new people. Mm -hmm. Okay. I didn't say that. I believe the great, uh, either GK Chesterton or Malcolm Muggridge said that one of the two, all new news is old news happening to new people. This is a prime example. And that's the reason why it has all the views it has. And that's why it resonates with so many people. It's because it's, it's an older cry of the heart and difficulty that people have gone through put in a new way, at least to the Americans. That's that comment. Then I'll, I'll quote the Bible. Ecclesiastes 2.18, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This too is vanity. That song reminds me of that text. Mm -hmm. It is, it, it is same. right. Like, like you start with saying, I work for BS pay immediately. If you find your identity in your work, any work you do will be vanity. 
this is a life, and I think this is a perfect image uh, that we see in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is a portrait of a life without God. This is a portrait of a life without mm -hmm. Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's at the end of the day, even if I accumulate all the wealth that I'm going to accumulate, I'm going to leave it to my kids. And who knows? They might be just stupid idiots who squander it away. Or That's what Ecclesiastes says. <laughs> or leave it to the government who are probably <laughs> stupider than your stupid kids. <laughs> <laughs> Tells you my views about the government. <laughs> I praise from... Uh, they'll, they'll use like, like you, they'll, you'll give them like $18 million and they'll build this like very ugly structure that's like barely <laughs> functional and they'll call it a toilet and and they could have built that for like fifteen hundred dollars but that's the government for you right um but it, it, it so there's a cry of the heart but i feel the song i really enjoyed the song my first time listening to it um it's the difficulties of life and i think there's room for that biblically speaking to complain about life and the difficulties mm -hmm. of life we see it in yeah. the psalms everywhere yeah, uh, I'm not but a... go ahead I was gonna say I'm not a, like a huge bluegrass guy, but yeah, I also enjoyed the song because you could definitely tell that this was something relatable for him. But I want to understand he also struggled financially and stuff like that. Um, at least leading up to the situation, according to news, he's doing pretty well off now. Um, I hope he becomes a millionaire off of this song. He has. He already has. He, he pretty much has. Yeah, yeah. He's made. He was making like forty thousand dollars a day at one point. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yes. He was offered he was offered eight million dollars from a record label. He turned it down. Capitalism for the win, baby. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but That's like wild, it's he, he's definitely easy it's definitely easy to resonate with if you're especially if you're like a blue collar um, you know, type of worker where you're like I'm you work a physical job, you you work a ten hour shift every day, you work fifty to sixty hours a week, and that you go home and you feel like you've gained nothing. Um, it definitely resonates with that sort of uh, culture or that sort of environment where someone seems to be slaving away, but at the end of the day, they seem like they just dug themselves a hole mm. and they're not getting out of it. Yeah. Um, mm. And that feels, and that's how a lot of Americans feel right now. That's how a lot of people feel. Although I have to mention, he just recently dropped a video, um, like a day or two ago, trying to get people to stop making it a political weapon. Basically, is what he said. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, look, I, saw it, 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 I didn't take it as such. I just took mm -hmm. it as, dude, man, life's hard. Mm -hmm. Like my first job was working at Baskin Robbins as an eleventh eleventh grader, getting paid I think five twenty five an hour, like and and like probably using half of my two week salary to pay for my phone bill, mm -hmm. like and and my parents couldn't get me a phone. I had to work to get my first phone and pay for my bills. It, it, it's just like difficulties of life and you feel like that you're like oh man i just work for two weeks and i gotta go and take it and give it to the man right like <laughs> it it's okay to complain about stuff like life sucks man dude yeah. not, I'm, I'm not making a general statement there i mean my life's pretty good right now but but it i grew up as a seven-year-old having two hours of electricity and no hot water <laughs> that sucked ever and since if that, if i knew how to sing i'd sing a song about it but how much it sucked <laughs> ever since that ad spot from last episode arthur's been rolling in it it's what I'm yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the logos royalties I, <laughs> you know, I find it interesting 
Maybe I just live in a bump, a bubble, or it could be because I live north of Richmond myself. But Ooh. this is the only bluegrass song that I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> but it seems like like everybody in the chat listens to bluegrass. Everybody everywhere listens to bluegrass. I'm just the only idiot who doesn't listen I, to bluegrass. I don't listen to it regularly. I grew up hearing it because my dad and my mom, well, my dad more than my mom, but my dad liked it a lot. So I heard oh, it quite okay. a bit around the house. He would just play bluegrass. But I personally never liked it. I thought it was kind of whatever. Gotcha. You know, I, I appreciate what you were saying, Arthur, because I think even personally, I think it's easy for me to get in this rut where it's like, man, I'm doing all this work. I'm sweating all day. And then I got to get on my computer and work for five hours. And then I got to go take care of the kids with my wife. And it's easy to get in this rut like, man, life is just, you know, a huge burden. But then that's that's only because my mind is just being stuck on this temporary existence on this mm. planet and not looking forward to eternity with Christ. So it's, I appreciate that, man. That I, yeah. I haven't thought about that recently. It's very easy to get caught in the rat race sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like I know for myself, someone who's trying to be like an entrepreneur, trying to get get a career that they can kind of make their own schedule and stuff. You feel like you work yourself into the ground just to make a few extra bucks or whatever. Um, and it can it can become very disheartening because you like you start going from like you have like dreams, ambitions of like greater things, and you start off with those sort of um, you start off trying to pursue those things. You start off with like good 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 motivations, but then you get caught into the rat race. You get caught up in the problems, the things that get in the way. You don't reach goals in time or whatever. And you, you you go from pursuing the the ideals and the goals that you originally had, and you start just focusing on the problems or the minute things of the current moment yeah. um, that are getting in your way. For instance, like a lot of times, like in ministry, you'll see this. Taking into a Christian analogy, within ministry, you'll see this where people start a ministry mm. with high ideals, like I want to honor God, I want to bring glory to His name and share the gospel. Uh, but then they run to financial problems, and slowly the the goal doesn't become let's share the gospel as, with any, as many people as we can. It becomes fundraising. We need to focus on the dollars now. We need to focus on the money. Mm -hmm. And then you, the message starts to be changed and the way the culture is functioning starts to change because you're in pursuit of the money now rather than in pursuit of the actual goal you originally started off with. Um, and that's a danger. That is mm -hmm. one danger within any sort of uh, society or you know money-driven um, society is that that can be quickly become a problem um, for anyone, anyone in ministry or just a worker in general. Well, and, and I think that I also appreciate that when when you listen to this the first time, you don't inherently think political, right? You think struggle, yeah. you think, and, and the thing that I've enjoyed the most about this song is watching other people react to it, particularly people that wouldn't get along have the same reaction. So you put a liberal or a conservative reacting to this song, they have the same, they have the same sense that, wow, there's something here. And uh, it was funny because uh, LT was referencing this, but recently uh, this song was played at the GOP debate and it mm. was, it was claimed as a cry of the right. And yeah. that's, that's when Oliver came out and said, no, I wrote this song about you. 
about all politicians it's the rich it's the rich men north of richmond if i had the paul washer it'd be like no i'm talking about you about you um, yeah. um and 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 that's and that's part of the crux of the matter that i think everyone else saw which is everyone's in this for themselves even even people that might start out with good motives a lot of times end up forgetting about that and doing falling into the party line politics and doing what's good for themselves and and it's it's really a mess it's really go for it you're younger well, well i was just gonna say like yeah the whole song is about politics in general because when it comes to politics everything's inefficient that's the, bit, the whole point of the song the whole thing about welfare is that welfare is inefficient uh the whole point about um you know the idea that people get keep getting kicked down is because philosophical ideas within politics get weaponized and become watered down and basic to the point that you're not even arguing about anything intelligent anymore. It just becomes propaganda. Um, everything that it, that's in that song is just about the inefficiencies of economy, politics mm. um, as a whole. Um, and that's what we see them flesh out is that due to individual incentives that cause people to make decisions that are poor for the system, the system gets bogged down more and more with bureaucracy and other things. Yeah. I just, I just think it's completely fine just to complain about life. Um, and, and, and that's the way I see it. Like, and, and, and I don't mind whether that's complaining to God about life and saying, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, and something to that extent, I think that's completely normal. It's a part of life. Uh, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to us? Where are you, God? These are statements that are made in the Bible regularly. Um, and I say this specifically if there's some people who are unbelievers or even atheists that are in the chat that might think or that have been even told in their lives that, you know, oh, if you doubt God or if you complain to God that, you know, you can't be a believer or something like that, then you should discount a good amount of people in the Bible who are like, God, where are you? You know? Mm -hmm. um, and... So I like it for that reason. Second of all, it, it's funny to me that only Americans would take this and turn this into like a political election season sort of nonsense. <laughs> it, because a vast majority of places in the world, when somebody makes a song like this, everybody knows they're talking about the people in power. Like, mm -hmm. just like all it's, of them. It's like, yeah. you guys are all bad because we get to have one meal a day. You all, you lot all are horrendous, right? And it's... <laughs> This is the cringe stuff when it comes to the Republicans in America. They're they're so tone deaf, dude. Like, I say they. I'm a I'm a registered Republican. I should say, uh, like, but they. I'll just say they because it's 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 them that are tone deaf. The the rest <laughs> of us, I think, you're like average American, who's conservative and registered Republican listens to this and goes, yeah, dude. I'm feeling like I. This is my complaint when I'm going to fill up gas. It's the reason why I have to fill up gas at Costco as opposed to whatever I wanted to because it's a couple of cents cheaper. Mm -hmm. That's just the reality yeah. of life and existence. And whether you're a Democrat or Republican or whatever, like if you've been in office more than eight years and nothing's been done, in my opinion, you got to go. Um, <laughs> that, that's just the reality of it because if you can't fix any other industry, if you get hired for a job and you can't fix something for eight years, you are really bad at your job. You should the only, be fired. It, 
If, if I would make any defense on the behalf of politicians, and trust me, I don't really care that much about defending politicians, um, within a democracy, as an individual senator, you need to form coalitions or groups of people in order to get things done. And it's, let's just theoretically say you're part of a movement that is only popular among a very small majority of a small minority of people, you're going to have a lot more trouble trying to get certain policy passed versus others. I know like, you know, so LT, a little bit different position, but I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good with you. Trust me. I've thought about running for politics and the only person that's kept me away from doing it is my wife. Um, and I couldn't run for president or else I want to, because I wasn't born here. <laughs> But, you also run out of money fast. But uh, yeah, well, it depends. I mean, I've been offered, man. I, uh, you know, there was there, there was a pretty big influential Republican guy that offered to to back me as a conservative in this community, as especially as a conservative Armenian. And right. I was seriously considering it and praying about it. Um, and um, I had a conversation with my wife, and she was like, eh, "No, I really don't think it'd be good for you." And uh, and I got friends who've run political campaigns who are very conservative to liberals. Who said art this stuff's not for you it's too dirty um and mm -hmm. they know me well and, and, and so so i get it but i would say this if you were like hey you got eight years to fix this or you're gone i think part of the reason why they move so slow is because they know they can get reelected and reelected and reelected. Mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. I, if there's one thing that i i could change in american politics immediately it would be term limits for mm -hmm. uh, for the congressmen and senators i think it'll get them to work faster it'll probably It'll probably get rid of a bunch of people who are kind of like, um, hey, I'm a failed bartender. I should go into politics. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> talking about. Uh, and well, turn it into my career. So there is and one job, Arthur. There is one job that you can, you can be wrong and not fix anything your whole career and never get fired. And that's a weatherman. You could be wrong every day at your job that's and you never true. lose your job. But no, no, nobody's. And also, other than that, also, nothing else. And also a big problem with democracy and like um, term limits and stuff is that like half of the politicians spend their time just campaigning anyway. So like mm -hmm. they have like they have one year where they're like, you know, not really campaigning. They, they're still doing stuff for campaigning, obviously, but they yeah. have like a year where they're not actively campaigning. And then the rest of the, their term, they're just campaigning. That's pretty much all. Of it. Yes, there's there's quite a bit of that being done. I mean, there's there's issues. I mean, we're not going to fix the American political system. No, but. Again, just judging that song, I, I was. I'm gonna after this stream, I'm listening to that song again. Hundred. It was a good song. It was a good song. Yeah, and I was just gonna say that, uh, you know, I've I'm I'm only 32 years old, but still, at the same time, I've been hearing every election cycle politicians saying they're going to fix the same thing <laughs> for all 32 years of my life, and so. It, it feels like just a just a game, just like a show, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this, just like I said four years ago and four <laughs> years before that and 30 years before that. Those Republicans spend too much money. Those Democrats spend too much money, and the <laughs> debt just keeps on going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And right? Look, I'm in California. We just, we just so keep I... going deeper into that hole of debt. It just keeps – we just keep crashing downward. Because they still agree on more. spending big. Right, oh, like they'll no, say yeah. that stuff. So it's not that they're they're not in favor of spending. They're not in favor of spending on the stuff. Right. So their disagreement is about what to spend on. Pretty much. Not, not to spend or to spend. Like it, it comes out it that also way. Goes, 
it also boils down to incentives. I mean, within politics, a lot of times what they'll do is like, hey, we'll let you spend this much money if you let us throw in this extra little thing so we can talk, so we have something to brag about to our voters that we got something done. And then, right. and also it, what's funny is that if you ever look at surveys and studies of the general public, if you ask people, hey, do you want lower taxes? They'll all pretty much say yes. And then if you go around and ask everyone, hey, do you want um, a good social security plan? Everyone will say yes. And then if you ask everyone, would you like um, you know, the government to spend less money? Everyone will say yes. But then if you ask, would you like to get benefits and health, free healthcare and stuff? Everyone says yes. So, the pro- it also, so it's called cognitive be, dissonance. It, it, it's also just a problem of general populace. Like human beings want their cake and the, I forget the saying now off the top of my head. But they want they want everything. They want to have low yeah. taxes, but get free benefits and free stuff all the time. And it just doesn't work that way. You can't have mm-hmm. both. Yeah, and and I, look, I, my encouragement generally would be, and um, it is to probably get involved in your local politics. You probably end up making a bigger change locally involved yeah, rather than yeah. like federally. Um, no, and 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 I'm for like small, small, small government. So. Well, and, and I think the thing that resonated with everyone, well, politically, I think everyone sees this, but I also think on the base level, back to what you said, Arthur, uh, bringing into Leviticus, this, this feeling of wasted life. I think everyone has felt a little bit of that, some much more than others. And also particularly, uh, the thing that was interesting to me about this song, there's no hope. There's no hope offered. And I think that actually resonated with people because it left you in this sense of what are we going to do? And in many cases, it's actually brought people together. But I still think, and we we would all agree with this, that apart from Christ, there still is no hope. And you you alluded to that in in what you said. And so when we're thinking about these things, even if everything in the song he sang was righted today in an instant, there's still no hope. Mm-hmm. There's still Greg, no then hope you'll in have that too song. much money and you don't know what to do with your money. And it's still vanity. All of vanities. Yeah. It's still all right, like like the author of Ecclesiastes, let's just say yeah. is Solomon. I I you're right. Like I think it's a compilation of a bunch of stuff from Solomon. I I just refer to the author as Coleth, the teacher. Um and um he he goes, I acquired a lot. Actually, in this passage, if you read it, he speaks about like, hey, I put myself to work and wisdom and I acquired mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. And then my conclusion was, who, am, who am I going to leave it to? Some, someone in my generation that I don't know, I've never met, who might be a complete yep. fool. He goes, mm-hmm. cool. So that's not worth pursuing. So I gave myself to wisdom and I grew in knowledge and wisdom and X, Y, and Z and says, and then what? It's still hopeless under the sun. Like, like his conclusions are regularly to get you to a place to say, dude, where can we get this hope from? And, right. and, so the, and he the even, passage I read was 218, by the way. And then he even asked the question in regards to the afterlife as well, where he's like, if there is basically nothing beyond this, like who knows if man goes into the soil like the beast yeah. or into heaven. Like there's this whole idea of like if there's no afterlife and all I do on this earth is just vanity then. Like if everything is just kind of worthless, um, it's just yeah. a very – depressing sort not depressing but like you know it's 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 real to what people experience i think the book of ecclesiastes is the most uh, one of the most maybe realistic books we get in the bible 
And if you read it as that, if you read it as this is the reality of existence, and these are the sorts of questions we ask, and these are the sorts of stuff we see. And at the end of the book, he concludes, obviously, with something like, remember your God in the days of your youth. Right. And, and I, like he gets to the point, I think. But if we're just going to view life as, you know, you, um, you wake up, you eat, you work, you eat, you sleep, you wake up, you work, you eat, you sleep. Yeah. If that's the rhythm we look at life. It's a completely point, pointless existence. I mean, as he as he then says, basically throughout the Ecclesiastes, like uh, basically just enjoy life. Then, because vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Like, love the wife of your, enjoy the wife of your youth. Like, and enjoy the fruit of your labor and stuff. He like he's like he basically like it's all is vanity, but it's better to enjoy it than not to. Like, like yeah, but the, even he yeah, says, he, you know, the funny thing is that even then he goes on and says, even that is vanity. Like, yeah, he, yeah. That's yeah. Like, your joy is fleeting. Like you're going to go, you're going to enjoy your, your work. And it's like, that's done. Okay, cool. And, like, and at the very end, the whole idea of like fear God, um, that's cause that's like the whole call of man, um, uh, is even in reference to what he said earlier, where he's like, why do you, why would you anger? Uh, I forget what he words, how he words it exactly. But along the lines of like, why would you get God to hate you and ruin your life? Uh, it's better for you. Yeah, to if God, God exists, yeah, why would you? Yeah, yeah. Right. So he's like, why live foolishly? Why live excessively when that's going to just ultimately get you against on God's bad side? <laughs> it's just a very yeah. interesting, interesting book. I think a lot of people view this book as a a book that exudes hopelessness and. I think it may for people that are without God. I think that is true for people that, that don't have God. But on the other end, I think that it does give hope to those that do have God because, <laughs> it, you know, a lot of times we can get caught up in this world and feel as if, you know, the world is ending and everything is against us. And, and it's not new to us. You know, this was happening back in, the day of when Ecclesiastes was written and, and we do have hope in this world that seems so hopeless. And that's, and that's looking forward to the return of Jesus. Right. I think Jesus communicated this so well, but he spoke about it in regards to a person who's very rich. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And he said mm -hmm. that this person stores up his wealth in, in his barn yeah. essentially. <laughs> and, and then Jesus calls that man a fool. He, it's not that Jesus is against, wise investments is that he's putting all his hope in that. And Jesus says, you fool, your soul will be required of you today. Right? Like, and then he goes on to give a teaching, do not store up treasures here, mm -hmm. store them up in heaven. Um, and, and the idea there is even if you have a lot, so it's not about, you know, politically we get like these conversations between the rich and the poor. The have and the, the have class, nots. The class war, yeah. I feel like I feel like that's an Obama line right there. The have and the have nots, but um, uh, probably. Um, and 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 so like, there's all these clashes um when it comes to it, and and the Bible is the great equalizer between the rich and the poor, hmm. because whether rich or you're poor, you're still a sinner and you're poor in spirit, and you need mm -hmm. salvation. Like, doesn't matter, man. And you can store up, you can have millions of dollars, you can be as arrogant as Andrew Tate and and supposedly have all the money that he has, 
And at the end of the day, your soul will be required of you. You're going to stand before God and you're going to have to give an account. Mm -hmm. Right. And you can be poor as they come and be proud Mm -hmm. in your heart against God. And you're still going to have to give an account to God. And then that's Mm -hmm. where the equalizing happens because every single one of us are in that. In the midst of it, um, I think you could be rich and complain about life. Like I said, you can have so much money and not know what to do with it and complain about how much life sucks and you don't know what to do with all the riches you have. And you can be very poor and complain about how much you don't have. Uh, I've mm-hmm. talked to uh, folks who are fairly wealthy who say, man, it's it's a headache being wealthy. It's, it's, it's uh, yeah, you get all these convenient sort of things. But you get to interact with stuff that you don't when you don't have as much. For example, when you're yeah. when you're pretty wealthy, you get quite a people, quite a bit of people who view you as a dollar sign, mm-hmm. who don't want to have genuine relationships with you. All they care about is what you can give them. As like, I think as about I like my... your existence, how much that sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, like I told my brother, you can't trust people. It's horrible. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, ruling off of that, like, I talked to my brother about this before that I always find interesting um, within religious, like, religious circles generally, but Christianity specifically, where it's often people will speak of the rich rather poorly. Like, normally the rich are spoken down upon within Christian religious circles where it's like, oh, you know, those wealthy people. And whether it be because they drive a nicer car than maybe it would be considered modest, they you know, they maybe have a bigger house than the average person or whatever, because, and, or just jealousy, whatever it may be. Uh, people often within Christian circles speak down upon the wealthy. They, they basically try to tear them down and call them names and stuff. But the moment they need someone to support their ministry, the moment they need someone to fund their trip to another country, <laughs> yeah. who's the first people they go to? All the business owners <laughs> at church. Every single business owner at church, they tap on the shoulder and they're like, can you fund me? Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's crazy. Like those are the same people they will badmouth for being wealthy and the money they have and X, Y, and Z. And then the moment they need fundraising, they turn to the rich. Yeah, it's very true. You know, I think getting back to the song and, you know, people's feelings of today and even Ecclesiastes, I think there is this, this rise. You can, you can read the data that anxiety over the past 30 years has steadily been creeping up depression has been steadily creeping up so has suicide and i think a lot of people blame a lot of different things a lot of people blame our our diet a lot of people blame social media uh, especially for uh, among suicide among the youth and things of that nature but i think while those may play into it a little bit you also see a general rise in people leaving the church and leaving religion in general. Mm -hmm. And once they leave the church, once, once that, once the relationship with God goes away, the entire purpose of life goes away with it. And so now you're just left with this meaningless, purposeless life that of course is going to bring along with it, anxiety, depression, and, and feelings as if you don't want to live anymore because your life, is defined by how he's speaking in Ecclesiastes that it is just vanity after vanity and everything actually is meaningless when you're in that state. And and, and I think the, Oliver I think Oliver Anthony would say it's a shame, but he'd use another <laughs> word as well. Um, and I think what, that leads into 
the well two other things where one you see this is also why you kind of see the new age spiritual movement really growing um in today's culture because it gives people a sense of purpose and meaning while they can while living in an agnostic ideology or something like that it gives them it gives them a purpose without having to accept the claims of a dogmatic theology basically um and you see that rising within our culture um as well as i think a response to that sort of meaninglessness that atheism or secularism gives people so so what what is the hope that we have because I think this is going to transition us to our next topic, because I think we've gotten to a, a good place with that, unless someone else has one more thing um, and wants to add. But I, I, I want us to start thinking now, if we're going to transition that way, to this idea of, okay, the hope for the believer is what? How would you characterize that? Besides saying Jesus, that's the Sunday school answer. Let's go past that. Where, 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 but, it's but I mean, that's where, that's it's where it begins, right answer, man. <laughs> it's where it begins and it's all that yeah. comes with Christ. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm actually preaching on this, this Sunday. Uh, so let's do it. I'm uh, no part partially this. Now I'm going to come at this, uh, uh, probably in the, in a direction where some people might not be expecting. Look, Jesus in the Gospel of Mark comes on the scene and says, repent for the, con the kingdom of God is here. Mm -hmm. um, that's been the message. It is God's kingdom invading the human kingdom, and God's kingdom will prevail and win over the human kingdom. And the book of Revelation culminates this by saying, the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdom of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the hope for humanity is not heaven. I'm going to say that so people can freak out first and foremost. Uh, because And people who do usually don't read their Bibles uh, yeah. to, to that statement. The hope for humanity and the hope for Christians is that we get to have an eternal existence as it was always intended to be in the garden. Um, and, and the way the Bible portrays that is a new creation and new heaven and a new earth and God dwelling with his people on this earth, this recreated earth. Um, that's what it looks like. It's not us having wings and flying around and being angels or whatever else myth you've read and seen. It is us existing with God and living in the kingdom of God, meaning where his rule and his reign is, which is what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Um, and... There's no greater hope for humanity than that. I agree but with Ar Arthur. But Arthur, <laughs> but Arthur, how, how, how in the world could I ever enjoy being in God's presence, knowing that there's some being punished? That's what we're going to talk um, about here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, God's so. going to wipe away every tear. <laughs> yes, oh, that, oh, that oh, is boy. true. That is true. He will. Oh, I've got the wrong overlay up. One second. There we go. Now it's the right one. There hey, we go. Why, why can't I record videos with me like sipping on, on 
flowery coffee mugs and and say hmm, atheists you can and to do something like this yeah it's just I'm not, I'm not on tiktok and i can't stand tiktok kind of content <laughs> yeah i found it on instagram or no i found it on twitter i think or x whatever you anything called. this is originally from tiktok it probably you also is aren't a female so i don't know if that will help you at all so here 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 it is uh, it's a short clip uh, we'll play the clip and then I'm going to read the comment that's there. That's the description. Okay. I'm, I'm going to so mute there's it. There's yelling and screaming in the background, right? Like there, there's like yeah, weeping yeah. and gnashing of teeth. Yeah. It's supposed to be the whole premise. It's supposed to be the whole premise and th this idea, which you've already debunked this understanding of the first morning in heaven in the afterlife evangelicalism teaches. And, and so the, the idea here is, um, and, and Elisa Childers talks about this a lot in her podcast and different things about progressive Christianity. There's usually one of two things that gets debunked or deconstructed first when entering into progressive Christianity. And one is the authority of scripture or the other is the existence of hell or any kind of eternal punishment or anything even remotely close to that. And so here in the, um, I want to, I want to read the description. I got to open it on my phone because my eyes I'm old and, uh, it's too tiny. It might be too tiny for you guys on the screen. If it is, I apologize. Uh, but I have to open it up on my phone to read and I will Jeremy, link it down. Are you older than me? Uh, I'm going to be 40 this year. Am I older than you? You are. Yeah. Uh, I think wow. I am. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You, enjoy the wisdom I have to, to give to you um, <laughs> in my old age. <laughs> so here's, here's what the, um, the post says. And apparently this, this woman has a podcast. Didn't know that until I did this research, but uh, hell as we've been taught is a problem church period. Not just because I say it's a problem. It's not just because I'm trying to twist scripture. It's a problem because logically and ethically, a hell of eternal conscious torment comes with implications that are difficult to honestly reconcile with a God who is completely good, powerful, present, understanding, and truly just. I cannot believe she said truly just in that sentence. Yeah. There's a lot of other no, things, but yeah, I mean... Probably, yeah. This view of hell is also troublesome because the words that get lumped together as hell in many of our English Bibles are varied and nuanced in their original meanings. Further, Jesus' original audience primarily did not believe in any sort of negative afterlife. Some didn't believe in afterlife at all. So maybe we should ask ourselves what they were originally interpreting Jesus' words to be about when he spoke about judgment. Did you know throughout church history, other explanations of hell and judgment have been proposed beyond the theory of eternal conscious torment? Check out our series, blah, 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 blah. And that's all I'm going to read. So what would be your initial response to this claim? And how do we think biblically about this? I'm not going to leave this up. We're going to flip back to our faces because I'd rather look at that. But... <laughs> Mm. <laughs> I have um, some sarcastic comments that come to mind first, but I'm trying to refrain. Refrain. And trying to think of something more intelligent. Yeah. 
listen to well, the gray listen to the grays in my beard and refrain from being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> They're speaking to me. Um you know, I'm not gonna lie, I I I might be uh the minority in this group when it comes to views on hell. So probably uh, not. Say what you're gonna say. You might be surprised. Well, I, I I looked into it, you know, a year or two ago and I actually found that there is pretty solid arguments for annihilationism. And so I wouldn't say I'm quite there yet. I think uh I think I'm still eternal conscious torment, but I would say that it's probably hanging on by a by a thread. Mm. It's hanging on by one verse in Revelation that I can't I can't uh I can't marry that up to annihilationism in Revelation 20, where it talks about the uh, the smoke of their torment going up forever and ever. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I look. Uh, so there, there's a big difference, I think, in in my theology when it comes to what people generally perceive as hell. So I don't buy this caricature, medieval view of hell, demons and pitchforks and torture and you know. I think that there's quite a bit of imagery in the Bible in regards to like gnashing of teeth and weeping and, and being mm-hmm. this sort of a suffering sort of place. Um, I just very simply put uh, view hell as a place where God's not there. His presence is not there. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if people are like, how can God shield his presence from a certain location? I'm like, um, have you heard about the, re- uh, the, the incarnation? There you go. That's, seems like that's possible we're right um and and so i would just say i'm even i'm even pretty uh easy going i would say to my annihilationist friends who who think that annihilation is who define eternal hellish existence as stopping existence like that's an eternal punishment you you no longer exist you no longer get to be in the joy and the we pleasures also, of I, god I, it might be important to note, though, we don't know for sure if she's an annihilist. She might be a universalist as well. So, so is th- this is where I was is. going. So, this is where I was going with this comment, in that annihilationism of that sort. And there, by the way, there is people who believe in annihilationism from the get-go. There's people who believe in a limited hell and then annihilationism. Like you got to be fair mm-hmm. to the views out there. And and then there's views and there's people who believe in universalism. But even universalism has multiple sorts, right? Like you get the universalism of, hey, every religion leads to God or something like that, which I think is is very cheap and easily defeated. Um, and then you get a universalism of the sort that maybe this girl might be uh, on the side of where everything is in Christ. Uh, like, like people will be saved in Christ nonetheless, so mm-hmm. regardless of whether they believe or not, God will eventually apply Jesus to them and save them because, and I, I kind of gathered that from the comment she made uh, about mm-hmm. like, this is God's nature. Mm-hmm. Exactly. God wouldn't, and, and God's like, when, when she said God, you read God's justice. And I think that's what she's referring to. Um, and, and, and frankly put, I don't believe in this. I, I, I think it's worth thinking about and being challenged yeah. by, especially yeah. when it comes to the biblical. And, and so with all that said, I'm going to pick up three books right here sitting next to me. It's a series of books. I saw LT got some books. Did you bring any books? Say, I, 
Oh, I grabbed Rob Oh Bell, my gosh, man. Right? Don't, even, oh, no. don't even come at me, bro. <laughs> Uh, okay. Okay. We were talking about universalism, so I had to grab it. I'm like, oh, I have it on my shelf right there. Th there it is. Love okay. wins, man. So that would not be the theologically rigorous and difficult stuff that we would be dealing with. I would just say, just saying that. Uh, so these three books, by the way, it's a, it's a series, um, and it was written in this order, actually. Um, uh, Jesus Under Fire. Okay. Uh, and the subtitle to this book is Modern Scholarship Reinvents the Historical Jesus. This is a bunch of scholars writing on the historical Jesus and responding to Jesus seminar kind of stuff. Um, there, uh, This other one is called God Under Fire. Um, and this is about kind of a traditional, so Modern Scholarship Reinvents God is the title there. And the understanding there is like our traditional notions of God, for example. And, and so some of it is like defending and, and battling against open theism and God not being all-knowing and all that stuff. Um, and then this last one is called uh, Hell Under Fire, which uh, I like the title the most probably. Um, <laughs> but it's a modern scholarship reinvents eternal punishment. Um, and it's a response to kind of, again, th these are really good resources for you to think through and, and read on this. And, and I mean, like, because sometimes Christians just kind of, in ignorance, I think, go, ah, that stuff that like, can't be true and whatever. And then they don't realize how much of it is cultural kind of development, right? Like, again, like the, just the traditional thing of pitchforks and hell being like a fiery place and all that. Sure. And not realizing the Bible has seemingly contradictory statements about hell being a dark place and it's all fire. Mm -hmm. And, and, and <laughs> it's important to deal with that, buddy. It's also important to note that most Jews also don't really have a strong view of hell in the sense that a lot of Jews don't even necessarily believe in the what we would what people traditionally think of as hell. A lot mm -hmm. of times Jews right. will look at the Torah and they'll look at the Old Testament stuff and they'll be like, We don't really see a strong hell theme. Um, and so they don't really believe in a traditional yeah. hell either. Yeah, I, I Go ahead, Jeremy. Sorry. Well, and, I, and I, on this. I, I know you do. And and I think that uh, I want to bring it back to the video just briefly, and then we can keep going um, down this conversation. Well, what what do you think to the, the main claim that she brings forward that somehow there would be lack of enjoyment in God's presence because of those that are not in God's presence? It, it's, it's an a, appeal to emotion first and foremost. I, yes. Like she's she's not she's not presenting an actual argument, and maybe you know Instagram or TikTok or whatever is not the place to actually present an actual argument. She does that in the in the written <laughs> section to a certain extent. Um, but yeah. she, she's appealing to emotion of like, hey, would you really enjoy if people are suffering at the same time? And I think again, I immediately quoted that God will wipe away every tear from us. Mm -hmm. And I think there's yeah. multiple meanings to like what that every tear looks like. Mm -hmm. um, as someone who has family members who aren't believers and, and continue to reject Jesus. And, and I hope they come to know Jesus, but I'm not guaranteed in that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that breaks my heart. But at the end of the day, it goes down to like, do I trust God? Is God good in his justice? If it, even if let's just say I agreed with her, I, I would throw something like this out. If God is all just and all good and he decided that certain people were going to go to hell, would you not worship that God? Remember, I qualified it by saying all good and all just. 
And I think the logical conclusion there is, no, he must have a good reason for doing whatever it is that mm-hmm. he's done. Yeah. Like, okay, cool. At the, at the end of the day, we don't determine the actual weight and consequence of evil. That is for God to determine the actual weight and consequence of evil. For he is the definition of what's good and right and wrong and just and stuff. That's the whole argue, That's a whole moral argument from an apologetic standpoint is that God is the standard. And who we, his character is the standard. Um, and so whatever the standard is established based on his character and his precepts is going to establish what is just and what's not just when it comes to hell. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just a question now of analyzing scripture um, and reasoning to come to what conclusion makes the most sense based on scripture then. Yeah, I think uh, there was a little bit of irony with her post because of the fact that I'm sure she was enjoying her coffee while people are uh, eating rats in the train station in North Korea and suffering. Uh, I'm sure she was enjoying herself, you know, in this world while other people are suffering. And so I found yep. that a little bit ironic. But you know what I picked up on is the argument that she made. And I think, Arthur, you picked up on it, too, was an emotional argument to about the attributes of God. Mm-hmm. And when I was when I was studying the different views of hell, uh, I read a book there's there's a series of books that that give you several different views by folks who hold those views um and the one i read on this is the four views on hell and it had yeah. uh, eternal conscious torment annihilationism christian universalism is what they call themselves mm-hmm. and uh, also purgatory which didn't really count that much in my opinion as a view <laughs> but uh the eternal conscious torment and annihilationists they really depend heavily on the interpretation of scripture to mm-hmm. come to their conclusion. But the Christian universalists, as they call themselves, uh, they typically relied heavily on emotional arguments and also just, you know, throwing out theoreticals. It's similar yeah. to how yeah. you're throwing out theoreticals to make you think, oh, well, maybe God isn't good. The only times they used scripture is uh, they would use things such as John 3.16, where it talks about how, you know, Jesus came for the world. And they would say, well, if he came for the world, that means the whole world. And so they would use some scripture in that way. Uh, But for the most part, uh, we can, I think we can, we can safely conclude that she is a, a Christian universalist. And I, and I, I don't really find much scriptural uh, evidence to back up that claim. Yeah. Uh, by the way, there's two books. Uh, I, I should say there's, there are two books on uh, the four views series on hell. Um, one is an older one, which has, uh, who is it? John Wolfwood, John William Crockett, yeah. Zachary Hayes. Yeah. And then, and then Clark Pinnock. And the more recent one, uh, is, um, I actually want to, I'm, I'm working on getting one of these guys to come on my podcast. Preston but, Sprinkle. Um, I, I, no, I am Preston. I know <laughs> I've talked. He's really busy. I really would love to have him on. Yeah. I gotta bribe him by uh, by offering him Armenian barbecue. But um, uh, <laughs> Danny Burke, uh, John Stackhouse Jr., uh, Robin Perry, and Jerry Walls. 
mm-hmm. um, is uh, all the individuals that are in conversation. And and so the Counterpoint series, again, this is, I'm just promoting this book series. If you're interested in theological, heavy-hitting kind of conversations, buy the Counterpoints series. They're great because you see scholars disagreeing with each other. In Sometimes people are not aware of theological discourse, and they'll read a book, and they go, wow, that seems convincing. And then they'll read another book, and they'll be like, wow, that seems convincing. And then now they're confused, <laughs> even, right? And and I, I'll quote mm-hmm. the proverb where it says uh, a a view seems right or a position seems right till you ha- till you hear its opposition right that's yeah. my paraphrase yeah. out of proverbs and it's really good to see scholars disagreeing with each other because they know each other's weaknesses and so they'll you get a much better and gra- kind of grander uh, understanding of the subject and then even if you find yourself disagreeing or changing your view you've at least dealt with the more difficult conversations not appeals to emotions and stuff like that but legitimate conversations i think it's a legitimate thing to argue for example something out of uh, saying if god is if god is all just and all good and saying something like let's just say god's justice is like a contingent attribute or something right it's not necessary um would god be still good if there was like and eternally existing people continuously being tortured and suffering. And how can you reconcile with God's goodness? Like, I think that's a way better theological thing than here I am sipping my coffee in heaven and people are being tortured. (laughs) Okay, dude. Like I I also had to think that her, that, that argument also didn't exactly like, you know, go well, but also her other argument about the fact that, well, a lot of people, didn't have that type of conception of hell when Jesus was speaking was also a very weak argument in my eyes as well, because the concept of God throughout the whole scripture developed over time. Yeah. People didn't have a concept of the Trinity very well. The whole point of the the whole point of revelation is to bring new concepts to people who don't have that concept yet. So like that doesn't make any, like it's irrelevant what the people believed that he was talking to is what, what's relevant is what he was teaching. So I, I also yeah. found that argument very. That's where my sarcastic comment almost came out. Um, yeah. So but, I would say I would just say you're right. Like the, what is commonly referred to as progressive revelation solves that issue. Mm-hmm. It's like so. Yeah, and I have this understanding. But that's fine. One one second, Ryan. Uh, one clarification. Uh, I think I knew what you mean. There's been some uh, talk in the chat trying to clarify when you made your comment, oh. Arthur. If you could go back to that. Uh, when you kind of the incarnation, God in the flesh is not like his absence from those in hell. Um, you said that kind no, of. What, what, what it is is that Jesus is limiting um, his his divine attributes. I mean, that's what the kenosis is, uh, right? Philippians two, um, yep. he emptied himself, um, and and there is a withholding of you can say of his attributes in the human person, Jesus. I would just say there's at least one place in the Bible where we see there's this withholding from, um, uh, and uh, you, some people say it's a veiling, but an emptying, whatever. Now, we're not saying that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity. That would nope. be a heretical statement, but he hid it or he didn't access it is the way that people will speak about this. I, at the end of the day, I think the incarnation is probably the greatest mystery we have in Christianity. Even but, more so than, I mean, than, than the Trinity. I guess but my I think only question that helps me. My only question would be would all three persons be able to limit themselves simultaneously? 
Um, yeah, I don't, I don't see why sense. not. Okay. Like, like, let's just let's just think about like a like a far distant planet, right? Um, and it's like the, the, we we can see definitely in scripture where God makes His presence like like localizes Himself. So theophanies in 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 the Bible, I would say the story about Abraham, mm -hmm. um, and 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 when he meets Yahweh and then these two angels. I know there's disagreement as to I just take those to be angels, by the way, but um. And um, and and it's like, can God localize Himself on Alpha Centauri? I don't know, three, five, seven, or whatever, right? Like, um, yeah. But can also, can God also withhold His presence from that planet? Sure, I don't see why not. Um, like, God is in control of His person, uh, unless I'm saying something that I just really don't understand. Uh, I mean, I uh, guess or I'm missing something. I think in in re in reference to presence, you can get away with it quicker than some other aspects, um, like you know omniscience and stuff like that. Only because the premise of God, you know, being an overseer of the world and hearing prayers and things like that, would require at least one person always being omniscient, omnipotent, and being in the omni state. But if if all three would limit themselves, that would mean theoretically someone would be praying or something, and God wouldn't be there. So well, like is it something is like it that, though, that's my question. Yeah. Is it is it a limiting though for God? And and I guess and that's why I pulled up Second Thessalonians, because I, I think that this gets us into part of this understanding here in Second Thessalonians uh chapter one, verse nine, that they will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So it's still a choosing by God to remove his grace his gracious hand, his presence. And, and so it, it's putting someone in time out, so to speak. Um, I don't know that it's a limiting of God for him to punish in that way. Because if there, if we go to, uh, what Psalm is it? Uh, if I go down to Shale, you're there. If I go up to like wherever I go, no. Psalm 139. Um, it took me a second. I got there. But um, when we're thinking about this, I, I don't know that I would put it as a limitation as much as it is God deciding to do something and that thing coming about. Yeah, but I would, yeah. by the way, I, I think people like over literalize that psalm. Um, I, the sure. psalmist is just saying, there's nowhere I can run from you. Like, mm -hmm. God, like, I can't get away from you. And you don't mm -hmm. necessarily have to take that sort of a literal view to know that nobody can ever get away from God. Like if God has access sure. to all things at all times, both in the manifestation of His presence and in in the knowledge thereof. Like there's, I'm I'm not disagreeing with any of that stuff. But again, uh, maybe this might turn into you know how many angels can can dance on on the uh, the tip of a pin conversation. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't want it to get there. Um, but I think it's possible at least to conceptualize of something like that. Um, and, and have some kind of biblical support for it, uh, mm -hmm. I, th I think is okay. Just, I, I'm, I'm very open to being wrong on, on this subject, uh, but at least I'm processing through it. Um, I, at the end of the day, I would say when it comes to, um, some of the universalists do have church fathers to back them up, by the way, and some heavy hitting church fathers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. not very sure whether Athanasius is considered a, a Christian universalist, but I know some people interpret him as such. Um, but I think one of the Gregories is. 
um, one of the Eastern fathers. I'm not sure whether Eastern Orthodoxy would lean itself, but I kind of think it does. That's my Eastern analysis is of very it. very mystical. So, yeah. yeah, but I think it, it, the outworking of the end times kind of doctrine and stuff like that, I think at the end of the day, they would work themselves into some mm -hmm. kind of a Christian universalism. If I'm wrong there, and there's an Eastern Orthodox person watching this, sorry, correct me. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But it seems to me that that would be my understanding of it. Uh, but there are church fathers that are universalists. Mm -hmm. But the question we're asking here is not whether there's church fathers who interpret this. Like, I'm okay with people being wrong theologically and being saved. Like, I don't have any issues. You know, I think Jeremy's wrong theologically for dunking babies, but I think he's saved. Um, and he thinks I'm wrong for not dunking, 100%. For not dunking babies. And, and, <laughs> yes, and, and, sir. And, with a host of other theological disagreements we have yeah um that that's okay and if this if, if this girl is is that and i would just say hey she she saved and she says arthur you're saved and we're disagreeing on this subject um then that's fine like we can have that conversation as long as the arguments are done without um just simple appeals to, to tradition as long as the arguments are not just like even from, uh, say, our side, somebody saying, how can you think God can just forgive anyone? You know, it's like, um, because he does. <laughs> like, seriously, bro. <laughs> right? Um, because that's the grace of God. Like, we all believe that we're under God's grace and he's just forgiven us. So, um, it's, it's important to me where we take people's thoughts seriously if they're presenting serious arguments. Mm -hmm. If they're not, then you go, Hey, go read a book. Come back. Let's have this conversation again. Yeah. Or was it three books, Jeremy? I forget what the fuck's supposed to say. <laughs> oh yeah, I I don't I blanked on it. I, haven't written down I was I was reading the comments. Oh, the T-shirt you're supposed to make. Yeah. Um. I I was reading right the here, comments. I found it. Go it do is. your research and come back. There it is. There it is. <laughs> on a T-shirt. Um, I, I think we could keep keep going on in this, and and I I enjoy the conversation, but I do want to keep us moving as as we consider because I think that um, as as we consider these things, I think what we've shown is you can interact with something like this on Instagram in a thoughtful way without just. And I mean, if we went through the comments, yes. the comments aren't aren't very helpful, even from people that are disagreeing with her. Like if you disagree with someone like this, don't go to the comments, get on camera and talk about what you might disagree in a respectful manner, because while there might be things that we agree with or don't agree with, um, at least in that forum, you can show emotion instead of just through a keyboard. Because while I disagree that she played to this emotion and tried to play up I, I really think it's just a desire probably in some ways to take down what is evangelicalism, which that's a nebulous term even in its own right. Uh, but I think that do that instead of doing uh, what I've seen in the comments section, because that's not helping any type of the argument anyway. So um, just yeah, going to so, put that so, out there. And I think we've done that. I think we, I think we broke it down. We spoke about annihilationism. We spoke about Christian universalism. We recommended books. Yep, where people can get views on that side, um, and and so we want to have that conversation uh, seriously. And I'll tell you, like, and you guys know this because you guys are creators. I I recently posted a video both on on um, Instagram and uh, YouTube, and it's a short. And I'm talking about like God not giving kids cancer, 
Yep. And it's a result of, so I posted that video and it's kind of gone nuts on Instagram. I think the I last I checked it had like 11,000 views, but it's got an insane amount of comments in there. And I try to respond to some of the comments. And then there's always those individuals that write essays in the comment sections. Mm-hmm. And then they're arguing with each other. And I, I'm not reading. I turn my notifications off uh, because there's Christians seeing, saying really dumb, stupid stuff. And there's non-Christians saying really dumb and stupid stuff. And it's just I don't have the time to just kind of every five seconds getting a notification because two people are going at it in the comment section. It's just like ringing on my phone. Um <sighs> And there's a better way to have those conversations. Uh, and someone can make a video and make a response video and say, Arthur, here's where you're wrong. And then, you know, I'll probably make a video response. That, that's probably a better form of communication if we give each other the kind of respect that we're supposed to. Yeah. Uh, and I, that's what our encouragement would be. And I think we've tried to do that. We're going to shift the conversation here to our last topic today. And this is more of a, maybe a lighter tone than what we just talked about. But I also think it has great implications to everything we've talked about because everything we've talked about is dealing with how are we interacting with injustices perceived or real in our world today. And the answer to that is given to us in scripture. And actually the answer to that is the gospel. It's the gospel that has the answer to injustice. And what is the vehicle for the gospel to go out? Well, it's you and me gathered as the body of believers known as the church. And I think that there's been some things that I've been witnessing and and full, full disclosure, this is a topic that I am more invested in probably than all of you, because this is also my livelihood. I am a pastor. Um, and so this impacts me directly. And I've had some convictions lately about the church in general and some of the challenges facing the church. We're going to read one story here in a moment to kind of kick us off in this conversation of where is the church heading and some of the challenges that are facing the church in terms of church leadership under the structure of Christendom that we've been in. And I think we're going to have some interesting conversations knowing where LT is coming from and Arthur and Ryan, I know some of your backgrounds. So I'm excited to see where this conversation goes as we look at this story. And we don't have to spend a ton of time on this specific instance, but this will help us uh, get an idea of what we're thinking about. Um, And it just says this, it's a terrible hiring climate right now for ministry personnel. We've got an open youth director, assistant pastor position, which we can talk about those types of distinctions as well. (laughs) A solid starting salary and benefits in a healthy growing church. And we've had maybe five contacts in eight months from two seminary job boards, one unknown, two local. If our current local candidate doesn't work out, we're going to be ready to go nuclear on recurring on recruiting soon, church staffing, promotion, in-person visits, whole hundred mile radius, so on and so forth. Uh, Let me go to the next. We have an open associate pastor outreach and missions position at blank in Indianapolis. It's been posted for three months with zero applications. We put it on church staffing two weeks ago. Two people applied. If you know of any candidates and it's going on. And then when I went through the comments, you might think, well, that's not that much. I went through a bunch of the comments and the likes and then a bunch of the other things that Eric has posted as a result have continued to for people to share stories of horrible staffing experiences, both from pastors trying to find a job and from churches 
unable to find pastors. And I think as we hit statistically the retirement age in the next four to five years, I think there's going to be so many vacancies in pulpits across many denominations. I know it's going to impact my own as well, but across many denominations, and there just isn't a pipeline right now like there may have been for pastors to step into those positions. What do you guys think about that? What is what is your sense of the local church and Christendom today? There's a lot in that, but I'm just going to let let that stand and wherever it goes, it goes. Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is supply and demand, baby. Economics. Um, because, I mean, studying economics in college, that's one, one of the things I majored in. Um, that applies to jobs. And um, pastoral jobs is no different than any other job thing in a sense of how supply and demand will work as you know the demand for pastoral care rises so will wages and things like that so will offerings as things become more competitive um and so forth so like there's going to be a change in the supply and demand um curves and stuff when it comes to uh the actual economic market but if we're looking at it from a spiritual sense this may I, I bring you up, you know, different traditions within my tradition that I come from, this won't be an issue, but that's because we don't deal with seminary um, pastors or seminary. We don't hire seminary students um, because we just pull from our congregation. Um, so this will actually require, let's just say theoretically that the supply of pastors coming out of seminary is so low that I can't even fill the demand for churches in the area that this will require churches either a to become more efficient with the pastors and cares that they already have or b use their congregations their congregations are going to step up and take the gauntlet and flesh out some sort of responsibility and this wouldn't be any different from let's say other cultures or previous generations in the past uh, that may have not had the ability to have a whole seminary system in place um, so this is going to, this, if, if this trend continues, this would result in people needing to fill positions, even if they don't necessarily feel like they are, um, intellectually, spiritually mature enough to take them on. They may need to step up anyway, as God leads. So can we, if it's okay, can we take a step back and just pretend like I don't know what the situation is because I definitely do. But is the situation that we don't have enough pastors to fill the roles or is there so not the, enough the roles for pastors? The, the statistics are bearing out right now that the retirement age of pastors that are in the like the last two to five years of their ministry career, there are not enough young pastors ready to come up and fill those positions. And then the people that are currently trying, so that's one side of the coin. The other problem right now is for pastors that are even currently looking for a job, many of the churches that are looking for pastors are doing it in such a poor way. So I think that there's problems on both sides, but the main issue is going to be, there's not going to be enough uh, current leaders to fill the vacancies as retirement comes within that next five to 10 years. It's interesting because uh, from what I've been hearing, the statistics I've been seeing and stuff, it seems like churches are closing left and right and the need for pastors is going down. Am I 
like totally off on that? D- depends upon your denomination. Um, and, and I think that some of the more conservative do- denominations are standing firm while you see some of the more liberal denominations actually struggling. And that's usually the the direction it goes. If anyone's uh, connected in, I know LT, we were talking about this before, but Reform Zoomer talks a lot about uh, how that goes and the trajectory of liberal denominations that actually take them to decline, whereas the remnant remains. And so more conservative congregations, like I'll, I'll speak for my own denomination because this is where my most most of my understanding comes from in the EPC, which is a conservative branch of the Presbyterian church. Um, we are in that same position where we're getting more and more creative with what, how we ordain and who we ordain. And is seminary always the only path? No, it is not always the only path. Is there such thing as a commission pastor for a specific congregation? Yes, there can be. So because i mean and here here's i'll lay all my cards on the table why i feel strongly about this right now i am in next generation ministry most of my time is spent with students and behind the scenes i've been having conversations with other pastors who are ordained and in next gen saying man we might have to step out of next gen and step into a lead somewhere because there's so much need for pulpits that are not being filled even though i may not right now feel a calling to that ministry i feel such a desire that the church continue that i i almost also feel like guilty for not going that direction if if that so does that make sense does that bring some clarity from my my perspective so i resonated greatly with this and what i saw on twitter i've also seen play out in the real world as well yeah i'm just curious why are young people just not interested in being pastors is that what it is well, I think there's a few things. Um, I, I think the state of academia in in some degree, like for example, the seminary that I went to, I went to the same seminary as R.C. Sproul and Fred Rogers. Um, Drop his and, name. And, and they, they are, <laughs> yeah, and I am nowhere near anywhere close <laughs> to uh, the character of Fred Rogers or, or the mind of R.C. Sproul. But um, I mean, the seminary that is there now is, I mean, is a shell. And it's because it's completely gone liberal and pushed out anyone who has a conservative leaning towards any uh, anything. Um, and as a result, there's just fewer and fewer people. Um, ministry isn't necessarily, especially coming out of COVID, more and more ministry friends that I know have just left the ministry um, and walked away. Um, and it's not like they're looking for another job. Uh, I also am right now part of a, and I mentioned this last time too, but part of a, a cohort of around 100 pastors in my denomination that are meeting right now and doing a year-long process of how do we help keep pastors healthy and engaged, um, because that's part of it too. Burnout is real right now also. So then you add all these in, it's not just that we don't have young pastors, but even when young pastors come, they get so burnt out so quick in these churches, they they don't go to a second pastorate, they leave. Um, the ministry. Yep. I think the average time span for a pastor is four years. Yep. On the job, and then yep. and then they're done, which is insane because wow. pastoring is a ministry that you want to get into where you're there for 10, 15, 20 years, because it takes that much time to actually live with people and and, and minister to them properly. Um, I, I think uh, there there is a there's a mistake on all sides here. I, I think this is a lack of discipleship. By the way, I think Dallas Willard speaks about this in the Great Omission. Um, we we are so concerned. I you we hit are, it. <laughs> we are so concerned about um, 
converting people uh, where we think that's the Great Commission and it's not. The Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations. Um, and uh, like, look, we, we recently hired a pastor for our congregation uh, who's, who's a dear friend of mine. I've known him for, for a very long time. And um, I, I regularly remind him that he is not in ministry alone and that we are in ministry with him. By the way, and I'm the one that would be apart from him, like he's in pastoral ministry. I'm still in vocational ministry. I mean, Apologia Center is an apologetics ministry. It's still in ministry. I'm starting my young life ministry. It's still ministry. But we have guys who are data analysts who are elders and deacons in our church, but they're in ministry. Like they are serving to the best of their abilities um, within that. And and so it's easy for me to say, but it's all the whole group says, hey, you're not in this alone, pastor. Mm-hmm. And, and because we're trying to mitigate and we understand the pressures and we understand how people burn out. And, and what, the problem becomes pastor comes in and everybody goes, here you go, fix this gigantic problem we've had. Mm. Right. And it could be like there's a pastor that left and there's a mess that's left. And not necessarily that my pastor, that it's not necessarily that that pastor made a mess and left. It could just be it was a messy situation and left. And then the new guy comes in and they go, bam, here you go. Deal with it where it's not like a communal fixing it. And then he burns out. And mm-hmm. he's because of that experience, he's unwilling to go into ministry again. And the life uh, cycle, the way the life cycle works, just to, and then I'll let you go, LT, is you show up, you got a one-year to two-year honeymoon period. Every pastor gets a one-year to two-year. It, And then by that third year, you see the warts on your congregation, and your congregation sees your inefficiencies, your inabilities, where you fall short. And so then by that fourth year is when it all comes to a head. So you can mm-hmm. see if you can't get past that and oftentimes, I, I think it's a discipleship issue. I also think it's a the way we do seminary issue, um, and I have thoughts right. on that too. But um, so that that's why for the four year life cycle, it's actually has a lot to do with conflict and how conflict is managed, and th- there's a lot underneath there. But LT, you had a, you had a thought. Go ahead. I was going to say what's interesting is that when this was brought up, um, I personally my first response was like I'm unfamiliar with this, not just because I'm not a pastor, but because. From my background, the church I went to, um, pretty much everyone there stayed at, pastored at our church for decades until they retired. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was pretty much the standard. Um, like, I can tell you that, like, our first pastor when I was young, he retired when he was in his like sixties or seventies with the church for years on end. And then the new lead came in. He was there for um, you know a while. He was an associate for a while, but then he became a lead for a decade or two. Then he retired when he was in his sixties, seventies at time. And then the new lead is, came in, who's our current lead. Um, he's was associate for decades as well at our church, and now he's going to be retiring here. And mm-hmm. I don't know, let's just say the next decade or so. I'm not sure when he's retiring. But let's just say he retires, and then we already have an associate in the wing who's probably going to become the lead and theoretically be pastoring for a while as well. So, and then like surrounding churches in our area within the same denomination, I'm not, I can't speak on all behalf of all of them, obviously, but a lot, a lot of them experience very similar cycles. Um, so I was admittedly kind of intrigued by this concept or by this uh, problem because I was like, oh, I'm unfamiliar with it. Um, from where I'm from, this is rather uncommon. Um, you have other issues, don't get me wrong, but this yeah. doesn't happen to be one of them. Yeah, it's, it's a very difficult, it's a difficult career, man. It's a very difficult job because you're carrying people's burdens and you can't do that alone. And I think the model we have of ministry is not a biblical one. We have a very CEO model of ministry 
um it's the, this is the guy that does everything he's the leader he's the president or you know whatever um and we follow him and i think that's an unbiblical model i think uh, you hire a pastor you just call him and you know he's a paid elder and that's okay you can have multiple paid elders if you want to but if you can afford only one do one but that doesn't mean the rest of the elders um are to do less i'll give you again a, an example of something we dealt with at, at our church i was the caretaker pastor um until we hired someone and when he came in we sat down and we talked together and uh and the discussion was around like sundays and preaching and stuff like that and we have plenty of guys that can preach pretty well at our church um and but we were like you take care of sundays and then he's like what happens to bible studies i was like don't worry about it we'll take care of it like you don't need to study for a sermon and a bible study series in a given week because we have guys that are gifted we have guys that are intelligent enough to lead those studies. So currently I lead, I co-lead a men's study. Um, and, and I know for sure if I were to just step out, we'd have at least two, three guys that could fill in. Um, we could, we could technically expand our Bible study to have like three, four groups because we have individuals that are prepared for that, that sort of stuff and are able to do it. And it's, it's pretty similar when it comes to the women. Um, we have Bible college, Bible college grads uh, f that are women that are very intelligent, know what they're doing, and do it very well. Um, but you got to raise up and you got to develop a culture and a DNA in your church where people are okay with that, and they're not always rushing to the main guy to like solve all their issues. Hmm. And it's okay for the pastor to say, "Hey, that's a really good like, or, or not really good, but but that's an important issue you have going on in your life." I think so and so, who's one of the elders would be able to help that with you with that issue better than I would like, cause what if like you have psychologists in your church and the person coming to you has more of a psychological issue, your pastor should tell you, Hey, I'm not a professional in this. Sure. This psychologist is, why don't I connect you with them? And why don't you see him or mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z issue. And so it's a, it's a delegation issue. It's a discipleship issue and you get to get sort of a maturity. The problem is, we like just handing power over and we look at the way we educate our kids. We dump them in the school and we go, teacher, teach our kids. And then we take mm. off. Um, and so kids uh, and, and parents are disconnected from each other. And then the parent is not involved in the education of the child. Mm -hmm. The teacher does it. And then when the teacher does a, a crappy job and teaches them all sorts of nonsense, we start complaining about the teachers. Like, dude, yeah. you gave your children to the teachers. Yeah. Right? I heard I Arthur, I, I homeschool my kids too, just like you do. Praise but the uh, Lord. we have we have close friends who have their kids in school, and we went to their kids' uh, kindergarten graduation, and the teacher said something that was just so wild and like out of pocket to me. I think because we've been homeschooling for a few years, so what we think is normal is different than most people. And the teacher was up there saying, "Parents, we need your help." We need your help to educate yeah, these kids. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a second. Why do you have no. to convince a parent? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's a that's a side tan tangent. We should talk about homeschool sometime. But uh, uh, what I was thinking is I was talking to, I have a few young pastor friends that are in their 30s. And uh, hmm. I was actually just speaking with one uh, this past Sunday who came to visit. Uh, he's, he's a friend who used to go to our church, our churches in Brooklyn, and he joined this group where they send, um, pastors off to rural, uh, churches where they need a pastor. And so he moved up to rural Maine 
and is is pastoring up there and he's been there for three years and he's not the only young pastor who's told me this it's just fresh on the mind since it was this past week but he told me one of his biggest issues is that he got into a church where it's mostly uh an older generation who has been there for decades and from what i hear a lot of these younger pastors are hitting this wall when they become the pastor of a church because they come in with uh, a fresh perspective or they want to do some things differently or something like that and then the church stands against the pastor and so these young pastors are experiencing some sort of uh hopelessness where they feel mm -hmm. like they're supposed to be the pastor however they're constantly handicapped uh, by the fact that the, the congregation mm -hmm. doesn't want to change anything about how things have been going for decades i don't know if that's just the folks that i know or if that's a common experience well even sure. even moses had folks that wanted to go back to egypt um, yeah. And so, hey, I'm, uh, I'm a radical when it comes to this issue, man. I've said stuff and I've gotten in trouble for it, but I'll say it anyways, man. Some churches are meant to close down. Jesus very clearly <laughs> closes churches down. Um, yeah. Not all churches, like, look, there's nothing wrong with saying a church has run its cycle. Mm -hmm. And that's it. like Jesus closes churches down and threatens to close them down in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. yeah. Some of them very good churches at one point. Okay. Yeah. And he doesn't go, oh, by the way, I know you guys need care. And no, he goes, no, I'm going to come and remove this. It's going to get doors are shut. Sorry, out of business. We're not doing yeah. this anymore. <laughs> and, and, and those close down. By the way, if you look at the historical records, there's either no churches in those places out of Revelation. I know one church in Ephesus, by the way, it's a Turkish congregation. I've met the pastor of that church, which is nuts, by the way. Um, and, like hasn't been a church for a very long time there hmm. just saying uh but so i would just say it's, it's okay to let it close down and then start afresh and then i would just refer to jesus when he talks about old wineskin and new wineskin mm -hmm. and it, it's just the reality is that sometimes you're going to have issues i mean you should try still to the best of your abilities but at one point or another you might realize hey like the 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 concepts the worldview, the kind of mold they think ministry should be in and the way it should be done, it, it really doesn't fit. For example, um, I'll say this. Say you go and pastor at a, ch uh, uh, at a church where when that church started, the predominant people group were white. And to a certain extent, people are still visiting that church who are still white, like predominantly Anglos. But the immediate community of that church is like multi-ethnic. Mm -hmm. And then these people, like the, the new guy comes in there and he's like, man, we got to like, we got to reach out to the Asians and the Mexicans and, you know, and, 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 and everybody's like, uh, I don't know whether we should do that and stuff. We, that's not how we've done it ever. Um, and it's like, well, if you don't catch on to this, man, there's going to be an issue. Uh, um, so I, I recently watched the Jesus Revolution film. Um, I've. I think it's a very good model of like people just saying, here's the funny thing. I, I went to a, I went to a four square Bible college. So all that stuff happened within the four square church, by the way, hmm. uh, Calvary chapel came out of four square church. Chuck Smith went to the same Bible. Hey, I went to the same Bible college as Chuck Smith. Um, I'll take RC. I'll take RC over <laughs> Chuck Smith. That's fine. That's fine. 
Uh, that's fine. I won't throw my seminary in there. That was Bible college. But yeah. Um, <laughs> so I would just say, like, the, the thing is that the denomination, which was like Foursquare in the when it mm. came out, like in the early 1900s, 1920s and stuff, it was extremely radical. And I was telling my wife this because she didn't know the story of Foursquare when we were watching. I said, it's funny that by that time period, by like the 60s and 70s, it had become like a place of like traditional old kind of folks who just were not understanding the younger generation. And then there was a shakeup. There was a shakeup in that. And I think Jesus does this continuously. Whenever we get stagnant, I don't care what denomination you are. I don't care what it is. Jesus will shake you up. I think the Reformation was a shakeup. And some people are still thinking we live in the 1500s. And they want to mm-hmm. do stuff like the 1500s. I'm sorry, dude. You need to, you need a shakeup. Um, mm-hmm. You can love your denomination, but that doesn't mean you can't use modern music. And you can't because Luther brought in hymns. And that kind of music was a shakeup when you studied the history of it. It was bar music, dude. Like people went nuts over it that it's happening in the church. Same thing happened when guitars and drums got into the church. You know, so so like we need to be okay with this. And some guys, I think, need to realize that I'm going to get into a church where it's just like, again, don't be just unnecessarily quarrelsome. That's not biblical. Hmm. You go in there and then you realize it's just not happening. Nobody's okay with this. I think it's okay to say, hey, let me find five people here, okay, who <laughs> want a church plant and will start a home Bible study. I guarantee you, you start that, you're going to have 20 people, 30 people. It, it's just going to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a reason people, uh, there's a reason it's a bunch of like 70 year olds sitting there and you don't have a bunch of 20 year olds. It's not because God's not saving 20 year olds in mm-hmm. that town. Like, mm-hmm. or like, Maybe it is a town that doesn't have any 20-year-olds. Then that's fine. You serve the 70-year-olds the way you're supposed to. But if it has those people, you better believe God's. It, God is interested in saving those people. I don't care what your theology of, you know, your soteriology looks like. Like you do your work, the, God's going to save people and and you're going to you're going to be able to disciple them. But again, well, and, I've gotten in a lot of trouble saying stuff like this. Yeah, but but I th- I think I think what you're saying though is is the same problem every generation. It, Amen. It, it, it's the same problem. So what you're saying is not an attack against this specific generation, but it's the same story repeated again and again and again and the challenge becomes if we're not doing a good job of discipling our kids and our children and And let's be honest, we haven't been when most of what youth ministry and children's ministry has just been entertainment based, very low on catechism, very low on actual knowledge or or even what Sean McDowell talks a lot about of, which is actual practical, like go out and talk to people you disagree with um, type of stuff. And we shouldn't be surprised that a young person doesn't want to serve the church. What 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 is the church? The church is entertainment. Um, in many cases, or even if it's not, your local church isn't, um, it feels very divided and segregated based on generation. And, and I think, so I'm going to share a story and I don't mind sharing it because it was shared in, in a sermon, um, and up front, so I can share it. But, um, we, we, we had a funeral this past week, uh, for a dear woman of our congregation, 96 years old, passed away. And one of our 11 year old boys, read scripture at her funeral because him and her were like best friends on Sunday morning. 
hmm. because she would come in off the the bus from the from one of the nursing homes. We bus some old folks in because there's just as many people per capita in Western Pennsylvania that are old as like Florida. It's insane. Um, and and this woman had a need every Sunday. She needed a hearing aid system. And this 11-year-old boy was the one that would bring her the hearing aid system every Sunday morning to the point where they basically became best friends. Like where else in the church? That that young man has learned more about his life in Christ from that relationship and that time of what it is to serve than any children's ministry or, or, or any other program can can build. But yet we think programming curriculum is how we disciple and and it's a western problem let's be honest this is a very western problem but it still is a problem for the american church and i think it's one that is going to get worse because there's too many churches stuck in this is how we've done it it's the same thing just played out again but that's that's my perspective. Um, I just look, hit- man, I'm having I'm having issues with the younger generation. I'll tell you that, and I'm not like I'm pretty connected in regards to what's going on. Like sure. I've had to ask people, like, what does "based" mean, um, or whatever <laughs> else, like terminology. Like, so I'm so not it's... naive enough to think that in 20 years' time, I'm not going to be the old grumpy guy who's sitting there and was like, "But in our church, we didn't use, you know, we you brought that new instrument in here." Like, I can see myself being that grumpy old guy. Because sure. I'm already grumpy and I'm not even 40. Um, yep. And I can see having issues with my kids on some of these issues. But I want to be open enough to remove the Holy Spirit to say, dude, we did it that way. And that worked and God blessed it. But maybe God's doing something like, again, as long as you're not losing the content of the gospel, you're Amen. not losing the truth of the gospel, the way it gets packaged historically has been very different culturally it's been mm. very different mm. i don't know how it can why we're not open to it being generationally different i think mm. oftentimes what ends up happening is people take it personally when it's not personal to, to say we need to change something isn't to say it's bad or it was bad but it it needs to change and i think change is is the hardest thing for the church and it's part of part of the challenge that i think lays ahead of the church before us is how do we be the church in the 21st century is a real challenge and and i don't think i don't think anyone's cracked the nut uh, and i i think it looks more like house churches and smaller budgets and uh not needing these giant overheads and bivocational pastor pastorates and i think i think that's what we're going to be getting to honestly in in the future so the mennonites are going to be fine um they're, they're they've got it on lock we, maybe we can uh learn some things uh from so, them in in the way that they they build up their leadership um because they they homegrown their talent uh and then they keep they keep them around for that second contract it's so. always manageable bro it's always manageable <laughs> like that do it that way don't go splashing the money like the saudis yeah. are doing right now don't go splashing the money like man city does it's for not sustainable Neymar. Hey now, <sighs> yeah. Insane, you know, they, I mean, they, again, like, it does come with like, it, it, even like in my experience. Although there is like obviously longevity to the pastors normally because they know everyone. Um, there's not you don't have that law time of building trust if that makes sense. Like ev- you grew up in the community, everyone knows you, everyone trusts you already. As long like you're an upstanding human being, everyone trusts you. Um, so like there's not that law time of oh, and also. 
And also, I think the other strength of it is that you already are kind of aware of the weaknesses of the congregation. You're already kind of aware of each other's weaknesses and strengths to a certain extent, at least the people close to that person. Um, so again, like it, it does come with the strength of familiarity and relationship. Um, it allows for you to be able to connect with the congregation quicker and know the needs of your congregation right away. The downside, and the downside can be a few things. One is education. Sometimes the people who end up in leadership aren't always the best, ed most educated people. They're not necessarily the best critical thinkers. So, um, for instance, I know plenty of leaders within the Mennonite churches that don't have a high school degree. Like they're not necessarily the most educated people. They were farm hands. They were, you know, blue collar workers. You know, they just had a simple type of faith, um, and that led them into leadership roles within their community, which then led them into pastoral roles, which then just everyone assumes you're going to preach a sermon. Um, and so and then you you have the relational skills, but you lack the theological and ability to speak effectively to a crowd and speak effectively to mm -hmm. a congregation. So like it can, it comes with the strengths. It comes with its weaknesses. It all depends on what you're looking for to a certain extent. You're right. It also comes like if you were the knucklehead in the community when you were younger, it might oh. become difficult for people to like respect <laughs> you as their pastor now. It's like, we it's know also, this guy, he was, he was a moron. For it's like also like he was a pastor either though. Yeah, but that's the thing. Is like, what if what if the Lord just does an amazing work in your life, and mm -hmm. and you and He calls you to that? So then that becomes an issue, yeah. right? Because you always want to yeah. have that moment where, yeah, man, this guy so, was a well, there's, Peter. There's actually there's a couple ways that the men like churches do it. One is actually the most random way, where they put up a name, basically a name and a hat, essentially, and they're like, it's God's providence. Casting lots, they cast no lots. Way. Yeah. So there are some Anabaptist churches that will cast lots, and that is how they do it. They're like, this is God's providence for who's going to be leading us. Um, but no, wow. that's not how our church does it, if you're curious. Um, at our church, it is like- you're the uh, you, You'll be the next pastor. There you go. Yeah, oh, yeah. Hey, I, I oh, should man, say that- already like, pastor. But, like, um, I've, actually, I've actually been involved um, in casting lots for an elder at our church one time because mm -hmm. like we need to make a decision and both were like qualified. And I think that's what it comes down to is like whether the individuals are qualified or you just like, like, Hey, you yeah. know, Bob over there <laughs> doesn't know anything. Let's throw his name in the hat. Right? Like, he showed up late to the meeting. Yeah. He's the new but pastor. Yeah, if you have a group of people that are all like equally qualified to do a job and mm -hmm. you just, maybe you don't want it to look like there's favoritism. Yeah. You know, like, so there's no accusations and X, Y, and Z. Like, I'm cool with that. Just saying, Lord, bless this. May your will be done. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, that was wrong. my only, uh, that was my only question and concern is that if, uh, just to make sure that people whose names are going in the hat are actually like meeting the. Yeah. Every church does it differently. Some are just more extreme yeah. than others. Okay. Because uh, I know for our church, there's a process <laughs> where like people put in a name of someone they think that would do well. And then the leadership goes through the process of talking to them, um, finding out with them how yeah. comfortable they actually feel, if they feel led in this position, so forth. So there's a whole process and stuff that goes mm. into it. Uh, but some churches are very extreme. Some churches are very stringent, like this is how we do it. Um, mm. yeah. Which says, I would just say to, I don't want to take over Jeremy here, um, but I'm a, I love the local church, you guys. And I've served in the local church to various capacities. I mean, I was the guy that like became a Christian and was cutting paper to hand out programs on, on Sundays because that's what I could do. And I didn't know. And I've led Bible studies. I've pastored for 10 years. 
um, associate uh, and, and led like a new congregation. Now I'm an elder. We need to be involved and support our pastors and be, be truly be their rock. Like just back them up, um, encourage them, um, criticize them. Like in like they should know that you can encourage them and criticize them, and they know they should know that we love them, and that we're in the ministry with them. And I think more of us should be willing to do this more and carry the weight of it. Um, it's very very hard work. Um, and I think the more people we get to do that and create a DNA in our churches that are like that, the healthier our churches will be. Hmm. Yeah, not not to spoil, but uh, LT came and visited me this weekend and he interviewed me. And one of the questions he asked at the end uh, was, any, any final comments? And I said, just go take your pastor out to coffee. Like, right. no, no, no strings attached. Just go check in on him. Um, so yes, you can encourage and you can criticize, but even just, just go be a human being with your pastor. Cause he might be more lonely than you realize. Mm. That's, that's the hard part. Oh, yeah. Um, it's so it's, the, yeah, it's very lonely. It's lonely it being be. a leader in many, yeah, generally speaking. That's true. Yeah. But mm. that's why I like hanging out with you guys. Cause I'm not alone, but, um, <laughs> yeah. So any any closing words of wisdom, thoughts? We've been at this almost two and a half hours. This has been a good conversation. I think wow. we've hit a lot of interesting topics. It's gone fast. For us on the East Coast, it's almost at midnight. Arthur, it's like the night is young for you. It but. is. It is. It's very young. <laughs> Arthur's ready to party. <laughs> I am. I've been in front of a computer all day today. Oh, boy. <laughs> I had a I lot of meetings. It. I had a long day, man. I was, uh, I've been running since 6 a.m., so – how how are uh, how's the preparation for young life going? I know you're in in the throes of some of that. Yeah, so had a young life meeting today at 10 a.m. <laughs> so there you go. It's, it, it's good. Yeah, we're there's lots of planning, lots of stuff that is being organized properly and meeting the right people. Lots of relationships, new relationships for me. Uh, logistically, it's it's a big learning curve. Um, hmm. Reading new stuff, reading stuff I haven't read, and 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 growing in those areas. So excited for it. It's challenging, man. The, like um, I would say, the newer generation scares me, and and, and in in a good way. All right, sure. they give me the 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 butterflies in my stomach. Um, but any generation, God will raise up giants, amen. And then people who speak forth there. So, uh, so so while you're still talking, Arthur, what's coming up on your channel that people should uh, go check out, or something yeah, that you've done um, recently that you want to shout out? Um, go check out my last Friday's interview with John McRae. Yeah, you should. Um, what do you mean? Uh, and uh, that was a really fun one. But this Thursday, I have Kyle Strobel coming on, Dr. Kyle Strobel, uh -huh. who's Lee Strobel's son, yeah. who is a scholar in his own right. Um, he is a leader in the spiritual uh, formation um, movement. Uh, and uh, he's recently co-authored co a book called Where Prayer Becomes Real. And um, so we're going to be discussing that book. He's going to come on. And I, I'm really looking forward to that because it is extremely necessary, I think, for the church. Mm. I sometimes have to, I have to say, whenever I know people who are the children to someone really famous or quote-unquote successful, I always have to feel a little bit for them. I'm like, man, just – I know for myself, like I have some sort of – I have – issues with comparing myself to others and stuff so like i just can only imagine what some 
some children go through as like they feel this and maybe that that might be a question that might be a question that just possibly comes up on thursday about hey how do you (laughs) how do how do you christianity someone yeah like how does your christianity become your own when your dad's someone like that yeah Mm. so lt what do you got what do you got coming up Oh, you know, there's this weird guy named Jeremy I visited over the weekend who I will be posting videos about to expose him for all, all he's worth. <laughs> Get uh, out of here! Colin's exposed! <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, my most recent stuff, I visited um, a, a temple um, of Judaism, so that's posted. I want people to go check that out. I'm really proud of the video. I only got like a few hundred views, but go check it out. That was a lot of fun just learning more about uh, Judaism. But um, the other the other one that's going to be coming out is, yeah, me and Jeremy partnering up. I'll be doing some videos about Presbyterians and um, video about the life of a pastor and a uh, whole nine yards. So I got a lot of good stuff with Jeremy coming out. Look forward to that. What do you got going on, Bible Dingers? Ryan over there. Oh, man, we got a lot of fun stuff coming up. So traditionally, uh, we're, we still consider ourselves relatively new to YouTube. Traditionally, we were an audio-only podcast, and uh, we walked through the Bible one book at a time, and uh, we spoke to the context of the book. Uh, so we would talk about who the author is, when it was written, stuff like that. And we just finished Revelation in our last season. We had a whole season dedicated to Revelation and breaking it down and the different views and stuff. And so, uh, you know, that, that brought us to a kind of like a what do we – what do we do now? <laughs> you know, moment. <laughs> Maybe just start taking on the Quran or something. But uh, no, the we. Uh, yeah, exactly. We uh, no, we decided we wanted to focus more on uh, YouTube podcasting. So we uh, we spoke to our pastor. We secured a space in our church where we're going to set up a studio. So we're going to be doing that over the next nice few weeks to start our uh, in person podcast. The coolest content we have coming up. I don't know if we've announced it anywhere. Um, luckily, there's not too many people watching over the end. Uh, but we have an awesome Clip it out. Debate. Clip it out. We have an awesome debate coming up. Uh, a, a couple years ago, we hosted a debate between Hugh Ross and Eric Hovind on the Age Ooh. of the Earth. And uh, coming up, we actually have booked and scheduled a debate between uh, inspiring philosophy and Eric Hovind on evolution versus young earth creationism. I'm stoked. <laughs> I got to talk to you, Ryan. For that. <laughs> I'm super stoked for that. That's coming up in October. So uh, lots of fun stuff coming up, man. Uh, that's great. Well, I don't, I don't have anything that big. Uh, that's exciting. I'll be looking forward to that. Hey, I should, hey. I should, I should have gone before you, but I will have LT on my channel. I'm uh, big. Yeah, you are. You are. Um, I have a big personality. And we, I, we had a blast. We talked about all kinds of stuff, but particularly, it'll be coming out soon. Where uh, LT is talking about why he's doing what he's doing and changing from a channel he had that was successful to building a new channel in a new direction uh, with some very specific reasons behind that. And I think you'll like that as well. So ultimately, guys, go check out all these channels. I'll link them down below. Thanks for being here, and we will catch you on the next one. Thanks for watching this episode of the Why Jesus Podcast. Make sure you click that bell for notifications so you don't miss the next time we go live and answer the most important question, why 
Jesus. We'll see you live every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Until next time, peace.